I'm Dr. Future, your host. I invite you to join me as together we experience a future quake. 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 Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom Bionic. And this is a new week, which means a new interview for Future Quake for this week. Indeed. And we have Miss Paula Martin, mm-hmm. who is the author of the new book, The Tri- Pre-Trib Rapture, mm-hmm. Choreographed in the Gospels. Yes. And we're going to talk about recent discoveries of rapture passages in Scripture. Uh, indeed. Well, we should just cut to it. Yeah, I guess we need to get out of here yeah, quick. We'll come back and talk about more detail, but in, with no further ado, here is Miss Paula Martin. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom Bionic. And uh, I want to uh, tell all of our listeners out there to please uh, bear with me. Uh, Dr. Future's voice has still not come around quite to what it needs to be, although uh, today I finally had a little bit of a breakthrough and getting a little bit of my voice mm-hmm. back. You, you sound way better than you did this morning. So hopefully it's not as horrible to sound as normal here. Yeah. But one good news I have to report is we have a great guest with us uh, for this week's interview. We have Paula Martin who is the author of The Pre-Trib Rapture, Choreographed in the Gospels. And we're going to talk this week about the topic of recent discoveries of rapture passages in Scripture. And Mrs. Martin, I just want to tell you it's a pleasure to finally have you on the Future Quake Show. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to, to be on. Well, it's yeah. uh, the uh, listeners we have, the, the overwhelming majority of them love topics related to Bible prophecy. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're all extremely well-read. They come from a diverse range of opinions. But they all are inquisitive and want to look at unique things that Scripture has to say. So this will be an, an interesting show for them uh, in that regard. And hopefully you will be a, a new voice for many of them uh, to get to hear. Uh, you know, this interview has been planned for some time. But uh, I wanted to make sure I'd gotten entirely through your book and digested it before we had you on. Uh, because I knew there was so much material in there that I needed to be aware of. Uh, to, to start our discussions tonight, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself as well as some other writings you've published before? Well, I uh, wrote this book about the, the pre-trib rapture because I discovered that the, the pre-trib scholars denied that Jesus taught the rapture at all. Now, mm. as a brand-new Christian, <clears throat> I discovered, it took me about five years, but I finally discovered that Jesus taught the rapture, but I didn't understand in totality how he taught it. It, it really took some 30 years before I discovered the full picture. Hmm. And Christians today, more and more are falling away from the idea that the Lord's going to come soon, and, and a belief in, in the rapture, much less the pre-trip rapture. Well, well, Paul, if I can interrupt you just a minute, we mm-hmm. just did a story on our new segment, which plays this Friday, mm-hmm. that talked about the Pope has now yeah. said that the Don't Lord is not it. coming back yeah. anytime soon, and that's not their official policy yeah. anymore, and don't worry about it. So it's not just evangelical Christians 
we're hearing an about face from either other aspects of the Christian walk saying the same thing. Yeah. He even goes so far as to uh, reinterpret some of the things that Paul says about the Lord's imminent return as really not an actual return, but uh, the nearness of love. This is a recent story from the London Times, yeah, so we, we need to send that over yeah, to you, Paul, to take a look at Yeah, it's the Pope the Pope saying that. So, so I guess oh, we're, really? we're supposed to take your word instead of the Pope's on yeah. this. So. <laughs> okay. Anyway, proceed. Sorry I interrupted you. Uh, well, anyhow, I, I sat about to just write down for myself what I understood about the rapture, and as I got into it more and more, I realized that there weren't just one or two passages that I recognized as the rapture, but there are literally seven pictures of the rapture in Matthew 24. Now, again, scholars have missed them all, but they've been there in the scriptures all along. Um, and so I set out you know, to put down on paper exactly what I understood, and um, therefore the book came about. That was my reason for writing the book, was to help Christians, and help myself as well as Christians, understand this subject more thoroughly. Mm-hmm. Now, as far as uh, other writing, I've written a book called The Simplicity of Faith, and that book was really written, you know, before this book on the rapture, and it was written to help Christians who are struggling in their walk of faith, who seem to just have mm-hmm. no control over the strongholds in their life, and to help them understand faith, because faith, of course, is the answer. But as, <clears throat> just like, I you know, I loved God from the, from the word go the moment I became a Christian, but I just had no victory in certain areas of my life. <clears throat> and I thought I understood faith, but the more I walked with God, the more I failed, the more I thought, you know, I don't understand faith at all, you know. And so it, I literally spent another 20, 25 years just searching the scriptures, uh, trying to understand faith. And, and, and that's why I wrote the book, because I know there are a lot of Christians out there who are just as befuddled as I was for mm-hmm. so long mm-hmm. about, you know, what it means to walk in faith and how to have victory over the flesh. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you know, uh, Mrs. Future uh, has uh, enjoyed your writing, and she tells me she was particularly blessed by uh, what you had to say in your books. And and uh, I'll just note that uh, just reading your, your style, your narrative style, is a very humble style that you write, but it's uh, just an excellent writing style that I really enjoyed. And I, f- I find, even regardless of the topic or subject matter, that you're a very skillful writer. And, and no, I don't say that to all the guests on Future Quake. <laughs> uh, but uh, I just really enjoyed uh, uh, y- your way of phrasing things, your choice of words, uh, it's not confrontational. It doesn't intend to, uh, you know, push people around back and forth. It's to offer ideas, mm-hmm. and uh, you're very respectful of uh, the, the ones, the, the scholars and giants that come before you. Uh, whereas you don't feel beholden to have to accept everything they have, you acknowledge what contributions are there, and I think that's very healthy. Uh, mm-hmm. I really appreciate that. Now, a lot of people may think here you are a multi-book author. But you're probably some professor in a uh, seminary right now, uh, or you know you've you've got some kind of environment where you're just churning them out like that. How does your lifestyle differ a little bit from some of these uh, theologians that write a lot of these other books? Well, first of all, I have no theological degrees whatsoever. I'm a housewife. I, I mean, I'm a grandmother. I have 13 grandchildren. Uh, I went to college and I got a you know a degree in journalism, but it has nothing to do you know with theology. And so I have simply been a student of the Word for 35 years. I mean, mm-hmm. studying God's Word is my life. Mm-hmm. I love it. Mm-hmm. And so it was only after many, many years of studying that I, that I began to discover, well, wait a minute, you know, 
they're not seeing the whole picture here, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and I recognized that, the, you know, the church was getting more and more discouraged, you know. And, and when we see hard times like we're seeing right now, Christians need to understand that there is going to be a rapture and it's going to be a pre-trib rapture. And they need that. They need the the the, the proof for it, which we've, uh, we've never had. There is no proof up to the writing of my book for the pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, pre-rapture, any other position you might take. There is no proof. Mm-hmm. And my book, what my book does is set out the proof for the pre-trib rapture. Okay. All right. Well, um, I will say, though, although you, you, you said you don't have any particular theology degrees or positions yeah. right now, your book has been well-received by some people who are highly regarded scholars in prophecy, correct? Uh, well, yes, yes. Uh, Dr. Reagan, in particular. Uh, David Reagan from Lion and Lamb Ministries. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. You're right. Yeah, he liked the book and wrote an endorsement for it. <clears throat> but uh, and I did give the book to a passing uh, a pa- uh, preacher passing through town not too long ago. Didn't I told him I don't know you from Adam. Mm-hmm. If you'll just read my book, tell me what you think of it. Feel free to tell me anything. Uh, I'll just give you the book. So he took the book and he called me back five days later. He said it was the best book he's ever read on the pre-trib rapture, bar none. Wow! Wow! That was that, that was exciting. Was that yeah. Marv Rosenthal you gave it to? No. <laughs> <laughs> He's a famous pre rapture in Georgia. <laughs> He's a famous pre rapture in case you, he, those who don't know that. Uh, yeah. Well, that that just sounds wonderful. I'm very excited. And I have to tell you, if I, unless I saw incorrectly, when I was just looking online, I, I looked for some links for you, and there was a ton of links on Google for your book. And one of them was that it appears to be for sale at Lifeway stores. Is that correct? Hmm. Gee, I don't know. Well, you might want to check. I saw Paul Martin, yes. and I saw the cover of your book for sale at LifewayStores.com. Uh, dot com. So, well, so uh, yeah, you never know where that thing may. It may be in a hundred languages out there, and you don't even know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad it's in this language because I really enjoyed reading the book. Um, to make sure we're all on the same footing, we've already made some allusions to pre, post, uh, pre wrath, whatever. Uh, a lot of our listeners are very sophisticated uh, in studying this, but then there's some newbies that aren't. Uh, to yeah. make sure we're on the same footing of understanding, can you explain to our listeners what exactly is the pre-trib theological position within Bible prophecy studies? Uh, yes, well, the, the pre-trib simply means we're going to be raptured before the trib, before the tribulation, pre And define the tribulation. Period. The tribulation is a seven-year period of time in which God is going to judge the Christ-rejecting world. It's also called the time of Jacob's trouble in the Old Testament. Or the you 70th know. week of Daniel. Or the 70th week of Daniel, right. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be raptured before that. We will be at the church, that is. We will be in heaven during the seven-year tribulation period. At the end of the tribulation period, Jesus comes back with his saints, you know. Mm-hmm. And... Um, the post-trib position simply says that, no, we don't get raptured until at the end of the tribulation that the church goes through the tribulation. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's really what I'm dealing with, pre-trib versus post-trib in the book. Okay. And I'm not getting into other uh, other positions. Right. <clears throat> okay. But uh, that's, that's the basic idea is that the church is not going to go through the tribulation. Okay. And, and what's interesting is that classical pre-trib scholarly work uh, from a lot of people that are pretty famous in the prophecy world, like Tommy Ice, uh, mm-hmm. people like uh, LaHaye, uh, some some of our uh, um, professors, uh, I've just drawn a blank right now, some ones who you've cited in there as well, who are very famous uh, in this field. 
they they have certain other things that they sort of adopt and somehow have picked up along the way as tends to try to support the position you just stated. And some of them are pretty shocking. Uh, you mentioned one right at the beginning of our show is what got you to start to do this, that that, that uh, somehow they picked up this thought that Jesus never taught about the rapture. Mm-hmm. And somehow this supported their case for some reason. Mm. Um, and then s- some of them are just, to me, pretty radical, and I'm surprised I've not picked up on them. I guess I don't read uh, to the depth in the literature that you do. Um, uh, some go so far as to say that the Gospels are not to be consulted for Christian doctrine because right. what Jesus taught was the law and that the Gospels are not for us. Yeah. Uh, some even say that the Gospels should have been stuck in the Old Testament. And then, uh, like, Acts on would be a New Testament. Uh, Do I have that correctly? And if so, why do they believe these things? And what what do you think about it? Because they assume that that during Jesus' ministry, uh, the world was still under the dispensation of the law. Hmm. And therefore, everything he taught was under the law. And he did come to Israel, who was under the law. What they don't recognize is that, that Jesus himself says several different times that, that when John the Baptist came, that was the end of the law and the prophets, and that's very important. Now, the Jews were still under their covenant of the law, and that was not, you know, done away with until the cross. So you have a transition period between the time Jesus began his ministry and his death on the cross, in which we are not in any specific dispensation. And therefore, I want to make sure you make clear uh, what they believe, because I'm going to ask you about what you propose about the dispensation and covenants and how you resolve some of this. And I thought it was very enlightening what you came up with. But but tell us right now, just and, and maybe you were, but I want to make sure we were clear, just what they believe, the typical teaching right now about the change of covenants and the change of dispensations, okay. when that occurs. Nobody, nobody that I know of really goes into that depth. That is my analysis of what they're doing. Huh, okay. okay. <clears throat> they don't say now, you know, Jesus, we're still under the dispensation of the law. I've just never heard anybody say that. But what they do is is they don't recognize that the dispensation of the law ended back at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. They all say it, it ended at the cross. It's just as the covenant of the law ended at the cross. Huh. So you, it's almost you, heretical. Yeah, well, you can see how... Well, I, I can understand that because I've thought that for, for many years myself. Because mm. if you haven't thought it through, or if you haven't picked up on what Jesus said when he said that John the Baptist was the end to the law and the prophets, you know. Well, then you just assume that. But even when I was a non-Christian, I mean, no, when I was a non-Christian, when I, was, when I wasn't aware of this whole idea of dispensation, I just read the scriptures and the Gospels and paid attention to who Jesus was saying what to. Mm-hmm. And that's how, you know, you don't even have to understand the dispensations if you just pay attention to who Jesus is speaking to and what he's saying to them. When he was speaking to the disciples as his followers, he was speaking stuff that's true for us, the church, because they were his disciples, and we're his, his disciples. But when he spoke to Israel, like in the temple, he was speaking to Israel under the law still, because they were still under the covenant of the law. See how, you know, how both concepts are there, but if you just pay attention to the context of what you're reading, context is extremely important in understanding any, what anybody writes, you know. Uh-huh. I work real hard to make sure the context of what I'm saying is real clear to people, you know, so they don't misunderstand. Even then, people misunderstand, you know, because they don't you know, pay attention to the context. You know, it's like we, when we read any other book, we naturally assume that. When we're reaching any kind of narrative, 
Yeah. We, we keep in mind who the audience is that they're talking to at the mm -hmm. time. There may be characters who sort of say things a different way based upon the group that they're with, according to what the story is. But we understand that. We pick it up. We recognize who the other characters are. They're revealed in the narrative, so we understand right. the personality, the purpose of the person. So, so we automatically put that together. It seems sort of artificial to not do the same thing with the Bible, like you say. Uh, consider who he's addressing it to. What's the point he's trying to make? What's he trying to accomplish with this? And that he's going to have a different perspective of people coming from, from different positions like that. The, the other approach is to come up with some kind of uh, rigid uh, doctrinal positions that you then have to shoehorn the scripture to fit in. And, and try to mix and match, uh, and I don't mean to trivialize uh, other approaches, but that almost seems like what happens is you, you get so fossilized into a strict uh, approach that when you get all these other kind of scriptures, all that goes out the window, and you just got to contort it basically to reinforce the position. Well, I, don't, I don't even think it's conscious, though. I really yeah. don't. I, I don't ascribe that to people. I just think they don't think it through. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. and, and, and it's... It, it, because I am a housewife, I've had plenty of time to sit and study. When I was a brand new Christian, I would spend eight, ten hours a day studying the scriptures because I was so enthralled with it, you know. And I've always been in love with the study of scriptures. But I've had the time. And I so I don't hold it against others because they, you know, a pastor, for instance, he has got so many responsibilities. He has to come out with a book every week, if you will, yeah, and yeah. a sermon. They don't have time to do what God has given me the time to do. And that is, you know, I, I literally spent 30 years just looking at Matthew 24 off and on through those 30 years, maybe three or four times a year, maybe two or three days at a time, just ruminating, thinking about what Jesus was saying. What does it mean, Lord? You know, in, in the context of my whole study of Scripture all along, you understand. Mm -hmm. and, and it took me 30 years to figure out what Jesus was saying. And I had all this time. So I don't, you know, I don't hold it against the others for not seeing it. Mm -hmm. It's just that this is God's time to reveal this truth. It's and, been there all along. And you've you've mentioned before that you've grown in your understanding as well. And we oh, understand yeah. we all still grow and mature and understand our right. understanding of the Scripture. Right. Uh, and and ex expect to grow. Well, that's a very humble approach, what, you, what you've just suggested there. And I'd just like to tell our listeners again, we've mentioned to them many times that uh, people that come from origins much like your own have made some of the biggest contributions that we've covered on our show uh, consistently. We just did an interview, which I'll actually be playing uh, next month, uh, with two teenage girls who mm -hmm. wrote a very interesting book, uh, mm -hmm. uh, wrote it themselves. Uh, some of our, our most profound books that we've covered here have been people mm -hmm. like you who are not full-time pro professional writers. Uh, and, uh, however... Uh, if you sincerely dedicate yourself to the study of God's Word with diligence and humility, don't be surprised if the Lord uh, puts some things on your heart that can be of value to other people. And then, and then the responsibility is uh, on us to have the discipline to put it down to paper and uh, get it out to other people to consider. Yeah, that was that was my whole idea. I, you know, I had all these insights, and I didn't. I'm older. I didn't want to die and have it all just you know go for not nobody know about it. Uh -huh. You know, so that's why I decided. I knew I couldn't write the book. I mean, it was just impossible. Like, me write a big theological treatise, you know. Right. But, but I said, you know, I have to do it. Mm -hmm. So I just sat down and started plunking on the keyboard, you know. And uh, out came, of course, this whole, you know. In other words, as I wrote the book, I discovered more and more and more. Right. It, it wasn't that I had all this knowledge before I started writing it, you know. And uh, I was just as surprised as the next person when I would discover one thing after another. So you didn't know the whole end of the journey 
Uh, because no. you know the end point, they didn't stop you from taking the first steps. No, it did not. Now, yeah. That is, of course, what faith is all about. Right, unless your headlights get out a little bit farther ahead of you to see the next steps down the road. Right. Uh, well, um, I, I stopped you here earlier uh, talking about dispensations of law and grace and oh, right. uh, in, in, in what the classic position was. Can, can you very quickly explain to us your approach of how Jesus' ministry straddled the dispensations of law and grace? Well, again, depending on who he was speaking to and for what purpose. Uh-huh. You know, the old, the old um, adage for the journalists is pay attention to who, what, where, when, and why. Mm-hmm. You know, that you're reading. And we, if we take that same concept, Jesus sometimes was speaking. For instance, when he gave him the, the discourse in Matthew 24, he took his, his disciples came out there with him and he gave them a private, you know, uh, airing on, on the end times. Whereas in Luke 21, he's in the temple talking to Israel. And it's a totally different mm-hmm. setting. You know, it's a different people. It's a, it, it's a different time. Um, and he has a different reason for what he shares in that discourse. They sound like the same, but they're not the same discourse at all. And that's what has thrown the theologians for years, including myself, for 25 years. Right. You know, I would say, Lord, why does Matthew, did you get two separate discourses at the same time? side by side or one after the other i mean how did you work this out lord <laughs> well i want to talk about that further if, if i could put in a nutshell right what i'm getting at if i understood this from your book many people try to make the the change of dispensations and the change of covenants as coincident at yes. the cross whereas uh, if i understood you correctly the dispen- the new dispensation are basically dispensing a knowledge about god and, and his desire for us Began with Jesus' ministry, or maybe even just with 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 John on to in through to Jesus, transition mm-hmm. to Jesus. Whereas the covenants, the official covenant of being right with God, changed at the cross, where mm-hmm. when when He completed the atoning sacrifice, now that the blood was on the mercy seat, we suddenly had a new covenant by which to find ourselves right with God. Right. However, it was revealed uh, the onset of. In fact, He preached of the kingdom of God. Uh, mm-hmm. He He preached this. Uh, this uh, message uh, much earlier. So it seems like to me just that simple point you make resolves a lot of weird positions that mm-hmm. theologians can get in about, say, for example, that the uh, Sermon on the Mount would not be applicable to, to Christians. When yeah. obviously he's talking about principles of the kingdom, if, if, it, was a, if it was a covenant that was, that was going to be finished in a couple of years, why would he waste three years of his time promoting teaching for a covenant that was being shut? It makes really no sense. Well, again, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, he was trying to show Israel, you know, and his disciples as well, mm-hmm. that God's law, God's requirements are beyond man. And mm-hmm. they were interpreting the law so that they could keep it. Mm-hmm. And he was trying to shock them and make them realize, hey, there's no way you're keeping God's law. So he laid on, on them God's absolute requirements. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is. Mm-hmm. You know, be ye perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. That should make anybody drop to their knees. That's right. You know? yeah. That's <laughs> a, yeah, if we ever need to know that we relied on uh, Jesus' blood, that would certainly be it right there. Absolutely. You know, so, that, and they just don't, rec- because they don't recognize these, you know, they don't put these truths together, the fact that Jesus, again, is ta- he's in a, a, a time of transition between the two dispensations and he's talking to israel in that case trying to show them how utterly they fail mm-hmm. the law the true intent of god's law mm-hmm. you know and ultimately we're going to keep that law you know in in the kingdom age you know mm-hmm. in the thousand year reign of christ and for eternity mm-hmm. you know we're going to live that out well in our hearts but, 
but it's meant to make us recognize what sinners we are mm-hmm. right. today. All right. And so it is for the church for that reason. All right, we're back at the Future Quake Show with Dr. Future and Tom Bionic. And that was our first segment. Uh, we we started right out of the gate. Sometimes it takes a little while to get going. Yeah, she jumped. We jumped right into it. I like guests like that. You know, they they're in it. They're on the horse. Yeah. And she doesn't do a lot of these interviews, so no. if any, so yeah. I, I was impressed with her ability to ju- to jump right in. Uh, we didn't spend a lot of time spooling yeah. up. Uh, one of the things that just really caught me was she points out in her book, and we talked about some of the extreme positions. That the historical strict pre-trib theology, mm-hmm. not not what I consider essential for being a pre-tribber, but just what they sort of come along with yeah, the fact they're that they're willing like, to Jesus, throw out other things in the Bible. Jesus didn't teach for the church. Yeah, that's that it was very relevant for the church. That's awfully crazy in my book. It's like, well, why are we Christians if we're not followers of Christ and disciples? Of yeah, shouldn't teaching? we be Paulists or something? Or yeah, or Cephas or or Apollos or yeah, you know, yeah. some some of them said, "I am of Jesus," which. Yeah. Obviously, they must have been wrong under this belief. Yeah. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, I, to me, that that is a something to learn for all of us about mm-hmm. when you get so tied in to a certain doctrinal structure that you start having to throw a lot of stuff overboard, and you suddenly start realizing how crazy it can get. You're kind of like eating White Castle. And, you know... <laughs> I said no. that just to make make a face. It's like that song, What the World Needs Now, is White Castle, Sweet White Castle. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's not uh, how that song goes. <laughs> I'd like to give the world a White Castle. Yeah. Keep it company. Well, folks. Uh, well, I guess we better bring Merv in. Yeah, huh? I was going to say, we need Merv right now. Speaking of bringing us company, Merv, come in and tell our listeners how they can contact Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay. Well, that was it. All right. Well, I think we ought to be- just better get out of here. What do you think? We have sure we have uh, some great segments coming up yeah. the rest of the week. Stay I think tuned it'll for be the rest of the week, folks. Interesting food for thought. We'd like to hear back your comments on what you think about it. But until then, uh, we're going to go. Tomorrow will be the next segment interview. Yes. And until then, we hope your future is very, very bright. Have a great day. Sayonara. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake. We're back at the Future Quake Show with Dr. Future and Tom Bionic. I hope you enjoyed the Doppler effect there. <laughs> Shame we're in mono, otherwise yeah. you could have really enjoyed oh, across the speakers. Krabapple. Oh, man. Watch your language. <laughs> uh, this is Tuesday, and we're in the second installment of our interview with Mrs. Paula Martin, yeah. the author of the Pre-Trib Rapture Choreographed in the Gospels. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about recent discoveries of rapture passages in Scripture. And um, she's somebody you won't hear anywhere else on the radio. Nope. So I think you'll really enjoy our talk. Uh, 
we really don't have too much time to talk about this, but in our last show she talked about what she sees as the difference in the overlapping transition mm-hmm. of the dispensations and the covenants from law to grace, mm-hmm. in that the dispensation, the new dispensation of grace, started with Christ's teaching, mm-hmm. but the, the, the old covenant of the law ended at the cross. Yeah. And that, that actually explains a little bit about why his teaching is relevant to us mm-hmm. under that dispensation. So the word got out before the covenant changed. Hmm. And I don't get a whole lot into dispensation covenant as far as fighting over any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. But I thought that was a, a clever, creative way yeah. to to take care of a well, difficult problem. I, I so. just like the fact that she's, you know, like a lot of our guests, she's just a uh, uh, a regular person who thought, Thought she had something and felt the need to write write about it. And I personally think, in many times, has something more useful to say than your typical theologian. Yeah. Uh, although we'll have some Indeed. theologians on here at time, and they add a lot to the discourse too. Yeah. It's just there's a lot that can be said. Within I think the body everybody. Of the point is, is you know, within the body. Yeah. Within the body of Christ, there's a lot can be said. That's right. Well, no further ado, we need to introduce uh, Mrs. Paula Martin, and then we'll be right back to talk about it on future quake. Well, I, I want to. Uh, to move on into the meat and potatoes of your discourse. Um, there's a number of passages in the Gospels you go back and forth, but the pivotal one is Matthew 24. Uh, also, there's the contrast with Luke 21 and then a bunch of peripheral passages. But just to start off one piece at a time, uh, how can you explain why you think the days of Noah described in Matthew 24 is mm-hmm. a description of rapture as mm-hmm. opposed to judgment? And why uh, context and relationship are important in interpreting passages like that. Okay. Let me just get my Bible up here so I can read here. Jesus described several different pictures of his coming in Matthew 24, and they are so diametrically opposed to one another. And as I read them to you, and I'm just going to do a couple of verses of each of them, you will see how they cannot possibly be the same coming. He Mm -hmm. says, For then shall be great tribulation such as was not since the world, beginning of the world to this time known nor ever shall be, and except those days be shortened, there shall no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake those days shall be shortened. So Jesus has just, he's been talking about, in the whole discourse, he's talking about his return and the signs of his return. Mm-hmm. And so this is, this is a picture of the second coming at the end of Armageddon. And it is total and utter, the world is going to be totally and utterly destroyed. If he doesn't come and stop this war of Armageddon, Literally, there will be no flesh saved. That's one picture. Hmm. The second picture he gives later on in the discourse, he says, <clears throat> but, of the days of, uh, but as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered through the ark and knew not until the flood came and took him all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. So what he's done here is describe the day of his coming that is totally opposite of the Armageddon coming. This mm-hmm. life is going to be going on as usual. This has to be the rapture. Mm-hmm. And there, therein you see the rapture in, in, in Matthew 24. Now he goes on to give more pictures, seven in total, in this discourse, which, which the scholars don't recognize and teachers don't recognize. But this is the first one. This establishes the fact that he's talking about two separate comings, one life as usual, for this marrying and giving marriage, that can't possibly be happening during, you know, at the time when man is calling for rocks to fall on them, you know, when they want to die, when they have, the whole world has been disrupted. So basically it, it sounds like good times 
when this happens. Yeah, yeah normal, normal times. And what, what happens is consistent. The, the shock of it is like when we hear passages about him coming as a thief in the night when you uh-huh. least expect it. So it's an environment where uh, people aren't expecting anything, a big change, right. until he comes up. During, tri- during the tribulation, people are going to know they're in the tribulation at that point. They're going to literally be able to count down the days till the coming of the Lord. It won't be like a thief in the night then. Mm-hmm. Thief in the night only refers to the rapture. one of the other pictures he gives in the discourse of the rapture. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so, so I think the key point you make is that other scholars emphasize, when they look at that picture of the days of Noah, they just picture the judgment on the people who are left behind, and they uh-huh. only take that piece of it out. They don't, they don't really focus on the part that it was totally unexpected when it occurs, and it actually called out some people who were rescued, which is the same thing uh, with the story of a lot that's also told as well, too. So you focus on the fact that, uh, one, it comes unexpectedly, and two, that there is a rescue of God's people, whereas other people just focus on the event after that, which is the ensuing judgment afterwards. Well, again, I'm, I'm focusing mainly on the fact that See, what, here's what happens. They, the scholars get to reading and, and writing about Noah's day, and the moment they get to with that first verse, um, where is it? But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. They stop in their sermons, they go back to Genesis uh, 6, mm-hmm. and talk about how evil the days were. And then 20 or 30 minutes later, they come back to, to uh, Matthew 24. They read the next verse as if it's, you know, it has no... In, you know, influence on 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 what Jesus has just said, uh-huh. and they and they go on, and therefore they miss it. I, I I can't tell you how many times I've listened to pastors just sitting whether they're on TV or in, in a church or wherever. They all do the same thing. They're so zeroed in on the the evilness of Noah's day that they forget to pay attention to what Jesus said about Noah's day. That's what Jesus was referring to, mm-hmm. not what we normally think of as Noah's day. You know, and well, because of it, they miss the picture. That scenario described is probably not uncommon, and I bet you're just scratching the surface of the theological topics where that happens to. People get into a rut. Uh, you, you pick certain set, set commentaries off the shelf when you're preparing a sermon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, that's, that's the normal way of thinking. In fact, it's not just pastors. We don't need to pick on them. What about academics? Uh, they're yeah. afraid many times to rock the boat. They're afraid to say what if. And, I, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, there have been certain Christian uh, prophecy scholars in this field, I have been underwhelmed in their ability to have an open mind and to look at Scripture a different way. Uh, they yeah. almost feel a sense they have to defend the status quo, regardless of what point you make in Scripture. And yeah, I, I don't I see a, any purpose for that. Yeah, I wrote a pastor about these passages one time, and I got back uh, an answer from the pastor, saying, you know, the pastor, his assistant, saying, well, we'll take the scholar's word for it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, said, okay, now it just so happened that I was wrong. You know, many, many years later, I discovered I was wrong in what I wrote to that, that preacher. But that's beside the point. The point right. was, they were, like you said, they were closed-minded. We'll take the scholar's word for it. You know? Right. And, you know, back in Jesus' day, they had tons of scholars. They had scribes and yeah. Pharisees. And, and they missed know, him, didn't they? <laughs> they told everybody to rely on him. Of course, it took some wise men from another country to recognize him in the time of the visitation. Yeah, and some fishermen. But they couldn't yeah. even yeah. calculate the 69 weeks of Daniel to figure out the, the, the time of his appearing on Palm Sunday. 
Right. So uh, I wish we would, would would learn from those uh, backgrounds. Now, you, you, you made a big deal at one point in your book about the word also. And I'm not giving away everything in your book. There's a lot more in your book than what we're talking oh, about. God. It's just there's a lot in it. So uh-huh. it gives us plenty to talk about here. But you talk a little bit about this little word also uh, mm-hmm. in Matthew 24. Why, why do you make a big deal about it? Why is it so important? Only because it was my first clue to seeing other pictures of the rapture that I hadn't seen before. In other words, Jesus was saying, in, he, in his discourse, he's giving you pictures of his coming, and, and some of them are of the second coming. But he's also giving you pictures of his rapture coming. And the, word, the little word also simply was a clue. It made me realize, wait a minute, there's more than just these two or three passages I see here. In other words, I understood Noah's day, you know, and two shall be taken, two shall be left, and the thief in the night, you know, reference. I understood those to be references to the rapture, but there's much more. There's four other pictures in this discourse. Now, by the way, many of your, your theologians would disagree with you just on that, about the, you know, one shall be taken, another left behind. Oh, yeah, Most, A lot of them still think it's a second coming picture. When, when I'm like you, when I first read that, it was obvious to me it was a rapture event that was occurring. Mm-hmm. Never even crossed my mind it would be looked differently. Mm. Yes, and that's the average person who's not taking into the study of the scriptures a set presupposition. Mm-hmm. But because the, these teachers are relying on the scholars, and again, they don't have the time. They, you stop and think about the wealth of material they must go through on a weekly basis. They, they consult the, the scholars. They take the scholars' word. And they, you know, just plug it in and go on with the rest of their sermon or their whatever they're doing, you know. Mm-hmm. And and so I understand. It's just that my my mind is, didn't somebody down through time, you know, through the last, you know, 20 or 30 years, stop and ask themselves, wait a minute, that sounds like the rapture. You know, let me do some more study on this myself, you know. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't seem to have been done because I, I don't know of anybody who has the insights, you know, that, that I share in my book anywhere. But a little word like also, which uh-huh. suggests the comparison right. or the re-elaboration of things. An additional picture, right. Makes all the difference in the world of seeing Absolutely. a possibility of seeing these two different events in the same chapter. Yeah. And but, I, I even had a pastor tell me that the use of the word also was a weak point. And I thought, wasn't for me at the time. <laughs> well, I could tell you, I could see a lot of also's elsewhere in the, in the epistles and other things that make a big, big difference. Uh, in in major doctrinal points, uh, a related thing that you bring up is something called you called the phantom verse. Uh-huh. What is that, and why is that so important? Well, again, that's that's the description of Noah's day that Je- the aspect of Noah's day that Jesus was referring to. You know, if the scholars would just keep reading okay. that very next verse, that is the phantom verse. I call it the phantom verse <laughs> simply because they don't do anything with it. You know, it's like, sort of like they the, quote and go on. It's sort of like the third verse of the hymns I used to sing growing up. Yeah. They'd all the time do the first, second, and fourth verse, and those yeah. those poor third verses, you know, all that teaching in there just got you know looked over, you know. Yeah, right. And that's almost what they're doing. Uh, yeah, and, and again, they're not doing it on purpose. It's just, it, I, you know, all I can say is that God has His time. Okay. Right. And when He's ready to reveal it, and the closer we get to the coming of the Lord the clearer the pictures that's been in the scriptures all along are going to become to us. Well, you know, and it also makes you think, what else is in store for us? Is this just a begging? Will this rapidly accelerate in what we'll learn from this point forward? Well, the important thing is to, to really zero in on, on the parable of victory. That was the sign, you know, that Jesus gave that was most important of all of them. Say you that know, again. Now, 
the, the parable of the fig tree is the okay. sign that tells us we're getting near to his coming. It tells us which generation is going to be the one that sees him come. Well, we're going to get into that because that, that'll be a very interesting discussion we have. I think our listeners will enjoy. Uh, yeah. But let's. Let, I know you focus mostly on the, the pre-trib position in contrast to post-trib, but you do yeah. make some references to preterist. Yes. Um, in contrast uh, to what you what you present here, how do preterists interpret Matthew 24 in Jesus' teaching? Uh, and at the same time, please explain to us basically the, the basics of what preterists believe. Uh, that justifies their interpretation? Well, they believe that Matthew 24, the Olivet Discourse, was fulfilled in the A.D. 70 destruction of Israel, of Jerusalem, okay? They, when they, so when it says, talks about Jesus coming, they say he came in judgment spiritually. That's spiritualizing scripture. I'm sorry, but he's talking about coming back, period, you know. Mm-hmm. And so they, when they do that, they, and the reason they do it, is because they feel that the, if you can believe this, that this skeptic should read Matthew 24, and they assume that Jesus meant the generation standing in front of him would not pass away before that, you know, that, uh, uh, before the end. Mm-hmm. So they assume that it had to be fulfilled in their day. And so the word preterist means past fulfillment, mm-hmm. Latin for past fulfillment. So they look at Matthew 24 and the, prophecies like in Revelation, and they say it's all been fulfilled. You know, now there are degrees of preterists. There are moderate preterists and what they call uh, radical preterists. The radical preterist says that Jesus fulfilled everything in Matthew 24 and Revelation, and nothing else is ever to recur again. Someday, way out in the future, Jesus is simply going to come back. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. That is the radical position of preterists. But most preterists are what we call moderate. In other words, they recognize that, you know, that Jesus will come back. But they, and they say, well, we believe in a tribulation and, you know, in, in a uh, uh, rapture. But they don't, they think we're living in the millennial reign of Christ now. Right now, the church is living, you know, the church is living in the millennial reign. Lord help us if that's the case. But anyhow. Have you ever, have you ever asked them? To take their children's hand and stick it down in the den of the adder, see whether it no. bites them or not. <laughs> no, because I've never yeah. talked to any of them personally. You know? And uh, but you know but, what? I think but, it's it's a good idea that we do that. You know, we need to make yeah. make it more a point to have these kind of dialogues because what I sense from their argument, and and I had encountered some of them in in, in my church prior to the one I currently attend. Uh, that shocked me when they took this position, and there's a number of prominent theologians that are that are well loved that have. Oh yes, but, absolutely. But it, but it seems to me that that they they seem to imply or think they're being more literal, mm-hmm. in 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 saying when they says this generation shall not pass away that that uh you know they're saying well that meant the people he was talking to, and so they think they're more literal, but at the same time it gives them license to spiritualize everything else. Everything else. Uh, right, everything or, else. Whereas I think I think the mm-hmm. the the non-preterist position, and that's why I think there's a big gulf between the preterist and the pre, post, mid, whatever tribbers. Yes. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. I think you know these people are all sort of scraping through scriptures, trying to put everything together, and uh, they're closer. We should have a little more mutual respect amongst ourselves uh, in that. But whereas the people in the other camp are not. They're not disputing what Jesus said. 
They're just mm-hmm. implying, in my understanding, that that thing about this being the last generation is applying to the generation he's talking about, yeah. not the generation he's talking to. Yeah, well, he is, Jesus is referring, again, this is in relationship, it's the application verses to the parable of the fig tree. Jesus has just given us a parable that we have to understand what that parable stands for. It's not a simple analogy, it's a parable. Mm-hmm. And so what does the stand for? What do the branches stand for? You know, and then he says, this generation, this generation of the parables that lives to see this parable fulfilled, they will not pass away, okay. you know, well, before I'll, the Lord comes. I want to talk about the fig tree here in just a few minutes, but I wonder if you could just quickly give us a comparison, uh, if you could just do a concise summary of the of the, the commonalities and the differences between Matthew 24 which is our, our major passage in Scripture, and Luke 21, which a lot of people assume was given at the same time and that they were identical events, the, the identical actual speeches that were given, just from two different mm-hmm. perceptions. And that's a very common belief. Yeah. You show difference. Can you, yeah. can you tell us what is common about them and what is different about them that led you to believe otherwise? Okay. Well, to start with, uh, the, the addresses were given at different locations at different times, so they're not the same discourse, to different audiences with different emphasis and for a different purpose. That is to warn, Luke 21 was to warn Israel. Matthew 24 was to tell the, Jesus to tell his disciples when he was going to come back again. So that's the overall view. But almost everything in the, in the disc, two discourses are different. I mean, the, the language of, of the parable is altogether different in Luke 21 when he's talking to Israel as opposed to when, he, when he's talking to his disciples in Matthew 24. Uh, to, to give an example, he says, now learn a parable of the fig tree. He says that to his disciples. But to Israel, he says, now learn a parable of the fig tree and all the trees, in other words, all the nations. He, and he goes on, and the language is so explicit. Let me turn to it just real fast and read it to you because it's so, you know, um, so poignant here, it says, Behold the fig tree and all the trees, when they now shoot forth, you see, though of your own selves, that summer is now near. So you also know when you see these things come to pass, know that the kingdom of God is near at hand. He's speaking in that parable to the people in the tribulation, be they Jews or Gentiles, people who are actually seeing what's going on in the earth. It includes the whole earth, in other words, not just Israel. The fig tree is emblematic of, uh, of Israel. But all the trees included in the parable, now he changed it just that much, you know, makes it, he's talking about the whole world because it's not just Israel who's going to go through the tribulation, and it's not just the Gentiles. So that, that's just one example, but there's so, there's so many. For instance, he, in, in Luke 21, he doesn't give us any one of those seven pictures of the rapture whatsoever. He never touches on the rapture in Luke 21. Mm-hmm. Um, now, now, it seemed like something... It doesn't to me have that, the abomination of desolation, you know, even. Uh, right. Well, something that just jumped out at me that really doesn't get anything, uh, maybe you alluded to this and I missed it, but it doesn't get into any of the theological issues or even the content. It's just if you read very carefully, where are people at the time when the, when the talking begins? It seems like one passage, uh, he's in the vicinity of the temple, and the other one, he's on the Mount of Olives. Is that correct? Yes. So, I mean, that's a dead giveaway right there. Uh, now, Jesus could do a lot of things, you know. He could be a lot of places. But I assume the uh, the disciples were not. They were planted at one spot at one point in time. So I'm assuming the fact that it's describing two different locations should be a dead giveaway to people that it's two different talks. Yeah, it's not a dead giveaway only because it took years before I thought 
Because, again, I was, like everybody else, I was assuming Luke 21 was the all of that discourse. And that's what all sources, I, I had found one source that recognizes that Luke 21 is not the same as Matthew 24. And because the, the form and the content is so similar, you know, there's right, this right. overview, and then, you know, then the, you know, the, the, the content is so similar. You know, we both have parables of the fig tree, but they're not the same parable, you know. Uh, so that we get just lulled into, you know, believing they're the same thing. And, and again, I'm guilty of the same thing for 25 years. You know? well, but wouldn't, wouldn't the questions that the, that the apostles ask that, that precipitate Jesus speaking, the very questions that he responds to are slightly different in those two passages as well, too, correct? Yeah, yeah right. The questions that in Luke 21 doesn't, you know, ask the, they don't ask the same thing. But what, my first clue that Luke 21 was not Matthew 24 was one day I was reading along, and I kept on reading after I got through with it, and it says, and in the daytime he was teaching in the temple, and at night he went out and abode at the mount that was called the Mount of Olives. I thought, oh, this is given while he's still going back and forth, you know, you know in the Holy Week, mm-hmm. into the temple every day and teaching the people. But the all that discourse was given after he left the temple for the very last time and went out to the Mount of Olives. So there cannot be given at the same time, same place, same people, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, that was my first clue. It, it's mm-hmm. little things like that that clue us in. That we, we may have studied the scriptures for years, and God knows I did, you know, and didn't see it, you know. So that's why I don't fault other people. It took me too many years to see it for all the years I had to study it. And the time I spent studying, I would, like I said, at least four or five times a year, I would just sit down with Matthew 24 and say, Lord, I just want to understand what each verse is referring to, you know. Are you referring to the rapture or the second coming? What are you referring to, Lord? And I would just mull it over, read it and reread it. You know, when I was first trying to discover the picture of the rapture, I remember going, well, I just don't see the rapture in here at all, you know, Uh until one day the light bulb went off. Oh, these two descriptions are so diametrically opposed. It can't be the same coming at all. Well, I want to just give this as an example to our listeners, that this is the same kind of approach they need to use. Uh, When you're studying scripture, uh, Jesus said that he who seeks finds. So yeah. if you earnestly seek, uh, the Lord will show you what you need to see in Scripture yeah. and, and can solve many things. Now, no doubt there may be a few theological issues we don't completely resolve until his return and we ask him. Absolutely. Uh, and that's fine. We'll know what we need to know, but we need to diligently seek and expect God to illuminate us. Now, he'll do it on his timing. Uh, that's I, right. I think about other prayers in Scripture where Simeon you know, prayed to see the Messiah and before he died, and God waited until right, he was an old man. Uh, yeah. But that but that prayer was answered, you know. Abraham certainly had his uh, desires met, but at a very advanced age. So um, this this is a pattern uh, that we should see. And I want to I want to leave this topic for right now and just direct our uh, listeners to your book uh, to find out more details about it. All right, we're back here at Future Quake with Doctor Future and Doppler Effect Tom Bionic. Yeah. Yep. All right. Only one special effect per show. Um, we were uh, talking about a whole host of things in this segment uh, with uh, Miss Paula Martin. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I thought it was interesting when she talked about the, the days of Noah and these things that uh, other theologians focus on the aftermath, which mm-hmm. was the judgment that happens, where they don't f- focus on the fact that these events are were sudden and that they were means of delivery for mm-hmm. God's people. Yes. Which I thought was a very good point to make. Interesting. I I like the fact that we got into a little bit, you know, the preterism debate and its problems. I know that there are a lot of people out there right. who 
ascribe to that and uh, you know. I wonder how many of them listen to our show though. I don't know. If you are Preterist, send us an email. Yeah, there you go. And let us know. Good we, time to bring Merv. In. We'd like to. Know. Well, <laughs> we could bring Merv in now. Merv, uh, won't you come tell uh, Preterist or anybody else, uh, whatever you are, uh, with the millennial trip thing? to let us know what you think about our discussions like this and other guests we have. So, Merv, come in and tell them how they can contact us. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests, or suggestions for future show topics or guests, are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay. Uh, well, we brought in a little early there on no, it. That's okay. I mean... Um, I, I, I thought that... Uh, uh, some of her discussion about, uh, well, just one point about where she sent her book to a church to review. Mm-hmm. And rather than really giving any good answers to what she said, they just said, well, we'll just trust the scholars. Well, it's funny. Like, Me and you must be like, you know, wired to the same power source because yeah. I thought that was a good point as well. Uh, you know, Scripture says what it says. And if you're willing to throw something out just because... Uh, you don't, you know, the scholar said it's wrong. And Didn't people used to say, well, we don't want to be challenged by these passages. We'll just listen to official church teaching, the tradition of the yeah, church. around about 1935. Is that when you were referring to? Well, I was to? thinking about it right before the Reformation. Oh, well, they said that then, too. What happened in 1935? Well, at least in Germany, they did all sorts of stuff with uh, church oh, teaching. Oh, okay. I didn't know 35 was a turning point year. No, I, I was. I think 33 was the real turning point, but I was trying to set it late enough oh. so that you know. Got it. Anyway, we should probably get out. That's of sort of like a, a yeah. I guess we are late. Yeah, we're way hey, late. ladies and gentlemen, sorry about that. Uh, we got to go. Until then, we hope your future is very bright. Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake. Welcome back to the Wednesday edition of the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom Doppler Effect Bionic. Oh, boy, you're sticking with that this week, huh? I feel like, I feel like we should be like the Simpsons and each week have a different, a little bit different way that we introduce ourselves. Like we like jump in the seat and we have our bodies break up or something. Yeah, it's it's a little bit more different, difficult to do on radio. But radio doesn't yeah, communicate yeah. quite as well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, we're talking this week to Paula Martin, who is the author of the Pre-Trib Rapture, mm-hmm. choreographed in the Gospels. And we're talking about recent discoveries of rapture passages in the Bible mm-hmm. or in Scripture by her. Mm-hmm. And uh, she, like you said uh, at the end of yesterday's show, talked a lot about uh, how preterists look at things differently. But then she talked about uh, the parallels between Matthew 24 and Luke 21. She spends a lot of time in her book about that and how she believes they're actually different discourses. Now, most of your Bible teachers will all say, because there's a lot of similar content in them, that they must be the same one. Yeah. But if you look carefully, now, I don't have my Bible here in front of me, so I may speak out of turn. But I think it's pretty explicit that one says he's in the vicinity of the temple. Now mm-hmm. the one says he's on the Mount of Olives. That's that's pretty... I think it's pretty clear that she may, ha- may be on to something there at the very well, least. Well, and I've yeah. heard a few... In fact, I have even remember hearing Robert Hyde telling me personally one time, mm-hmm. making that same point. Yeah. You know, Although he different. came to some different opinions about, you know... 
the significance of some of the, the details. But sure. the fact that those were two different passages, and he had mentioned to me that, you know, basically hardly anybody notices that. Mm-hmm. So There's I think, a lot of things like that, you know, like the uh, rising of the dead in, uh, when Jesus put in the tomb and dies and all that. The dead are raised. Yeah. Coming to Jerusalem and present themselves. Yeah, like, like that's right. Like David yeah. Lowe talks about. It. Everybody just brushes over that like la 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 la. Yeah. You know, dead yeah, people like, are walking around. There's dead like, people walking around. That's what kind ha- of a big deal. What happened? <laughs> you know, everybody saw them. What happened to yeah. them? You know, where are they going? You yeah. know. Uh, well, we got to get into the interview here, and mm-hmm. we'll be right back to wrap up this next segment's discussion on Future Quake. I'd like to switch gears a little bit and um, just ask you some questions about some specific topics you have that I thought it'd be worthwhile to explore uh, the merits of it, maybe do some challenges of it, and have some good rigorous discussion about them. Uh, and probably some of the kind of questions that some of our listeners might have, and uh, I think this will be very useful for our uh, listeners. In pages 86 and 87 of your book, you mention, and I and I know I've seen this in other prophecy books as well, that the Old Testament uh, saints and possibly other saints resurrect at the end of the tribulation period. Mm-hmm. Except in in again, you're going to give me a little bit more details about things I'm sure than what I've thought about here. Uh, but when, if I just take First Thessalonians 4, for example, it says that the dead in Christ shall rise first, yeah. uh, of which uh, if anyone uh, is raised and resurrected, they're going to be the ones who raise in Christ, in my opinion, because Christ is the one in which we count on uh, to raise all of us. Can you explain how these two positions harmonize? What's said in First Thessalonians and your position about them waiting to the end of the tribulation period? Okay. Well, now, again, uh, the dead in Christ is, is a Pauline phrase that refers to the church. We, we all understand that. And so when he says the dead in Christ, that is definitely speaking of, of the rapture of the church. Uh, but when I talk about the other saints being raptured, I, I'm not dogmatic about, ex- you know, exactly. But let me just read you what Matthew 24 says here. Uh, Jesus is, after he's given, you know, some of his, the signs, he says, Talks about the end of you know of the tribulation where the stars fall from heaven and you know and so forth. Then he goes on, and he shall send forth his angels with a great sound, with a trumpet, and with they shall gather together his elect from the four winds of the, from one end of heaven to the other. And the post-tribbers think that that's referring to the rapture at that point. It's not. He's hmm. coming back. It's referring to all the dead in the grave. You know, I believe the Old Testament saints. Are raptured at this point, or they're not raptured because they don't go to heaven, but they are resurrected huh. at this mm. point. Are, are, now, there, you know, are there other passages that elaborate on that further that you know of? No, that, that, that's why I say I'm not dogmatic uh-huh. about it in the book. I mean, I flat out say I'm not dogmatic. I just believe, you know, what I do know is that it has to re- include those who died during the tribulation. They must be resurrected. They're not raptured, but they are resurrected. You know, uh, because those all, who have faith in Christ. Huh? Those who yes. have faith in Christ, All yeah. Who come to faith, yeah, who come yeah. to faith in Christ during the tribulation. Most of them will have to die for their faith. There'll be a mm-hmm. few survive it. But the Old Testament saints must be raised some point and resurrected to go into the millennial reign, right? Okay. Because Jesus promised Israel, you know, that kingdom. Uh, and plus all the other believers from Adam on, you know. Okay. And then we, we the church, come back with Jesus having already been raptured, you know. Uh-huh. And then the people who died during the tribulation who were believers, they also must be resurrected to go into the millennial reign. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, I believe that's what uh, Matthew 24, 31 is saying. He's talking about, you know, those two groups of people 
being resurrected so they you know can then go into the millennial reign of Christ. Okay. So so then the uh the rapture and then what we sometimes surmise to be the marriage supper of the lamb, the period of time where we're with him while literally all hell is breaking loose on earth here. Yes. Uh that that, that is reserved for uh believers that are part of the bride of Christ during the church age. Yeah, that's our promise as opposed to the millennial reign is, is the promise to Israel that they'll, you know, that David will sit on mm-hmm. his throne, you know, that's not David will sit on the throne. That part is for Israel. That's their okay. reward, if you will. Our reward is to go to heaven for the seven years. Well, one way we'll find out, uh, Paula, is when when the rapture happens, happens. we'll look around. <laughs> yeah. Keep an eye out for, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, Nicodemus or, uh, I guess yeah. not Nicodemus, but... Uh, uh, you know, look at some Old Testament guys, Elisha or somebody. Look, look to see. I do, that's why I'm not dogmatic. I am. I'm not saying they will not be right. there. Right. But it, it, if nobody else is resurrected at that point, the people who died in the tribulation will be. You know, I'm afraid some people are so dogmatic in their belief that mm-hmm. if they see certain people in heaven or certain things play out, I don't think they're <laughs> going to want to play along. Oh, yeah. oh, I, I think, I think that, that you know that won't be the case <laughs> at that point. Yeah. I think yeah. we're all going to be. Bend our knees to the truth. <laughs> you think we'll all be a little more flexible once that time comes? Yeah. I sure hope so. Yeah. Because yeah. we certainly aren't that way with each other right now for the most part. And I think that's really something that we ought to do, you know, more of in general is just be kind to people who have slightly differing positions of uh, theology on. I know that I yeah. I know that I get stuck in uh, different ideas from time to time and kind of look down my nose on somebody. I really shouldn't do that. But you know what yeah. always happens with me? Every time I do that. Well, in time, I, I end up adop- well, yeah. <laughs> in time, I end up adopting a lot of times what they think. Yeah. The very people who yeah. I disagreed I, with. I the Christian that can't change their mind is, is not much of a humble person, are they? That's exactly sure. right. You, know, you yeah. have to let the scriptures convict you when you're yeah. wrong. Yeah. Well, and I've had to change my mind many times. Well, some people think that means it's being double-minded or not knowing no, you believe or wishy-washy. No, 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 but there's there's a difference between using the scriptures as a compass to point the way of truth mm-hmm. and then using the way of truth and the scriptures to back up whatever your preconceived idea right, of, right. Of, of how something yeah. should work. Right. And, and, and I'll just give one, one example of scripture. Uh, St. Peter, who uh, was certainly one of the closest to Christ, uh, certainly in, in understanding, he didn't understand, nor did anyone else, about the plan for Gentiles in the kingdom. And the Lord had to teach him a lesson in a vision, in the experience with Cornelius, and he didn't about face. Uh, based upon learning, even though he had spent all that time walking with Christ, spending time learning, teaching, you know, being one of the heads of the church in Jerusalem, uh, he was still teachable to learn yeah. new things. And and I think that's a lesson for all of us. That's well, the joy of our life, is it not? Well, if we make it, it that way. It should be. And, yeah. and, and you know yeah. what? We can enjoy each other as yeah. we ask these questions, go back and have our iron sharpened iron. Uh, in trying to figure out these things, and again, not get so dogmatic that we're willing to go up in arms over oh, things, but no. keep encouraging each other to focus on Scripture as our no, all answer. You, all you can do is put forth your ideas, and the people that are open to them will then be comforted by them. Yeah. If a person is not open to it, well, it's not a, it's not a doctrine about your salvation. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Exactly. So if you, if a person's not open to it, that's that's their decision. My my role is to, simply to put forth what God has given me to those who have ears to hear. Mm-hmm. 
Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I've got another t- topic that I found sort of interesting. And uh, in, in this situation, I think you take the more traditional approach. And I, I have hypothesized something to you that's that I will readily admit is a more far-out approach. But I just thought it would be sort of interesting to our listeners to discuss a little bit. Uh, you, you've mentioned several times about the fig tree and the importance yes. of it uh, teaching in Matthew 24, uh, being mm-hmm. a representative of Israel. Mm-hmm. Now, if most of your major prophecy teachers w- would agree with that. Uh, yes. or ones that are well-known uh, would do that. And, in fact, it's become so, uh, so critical these days because it's a, a historical line in the sand of the modern era, uh, particularly right. the understanding that uh, the, the return of modern-day Israel was a fulfillment of that passage uh, of that budding, and that's what really energized modern prophetic teaching and influences yes. a lot of thinking based on that premise, uh, right. is, is built on that. Um, so there's there's a long list of support as far as common thinking, uh, and, and, and you show, for example, another reason in, in your context why it's important. But um, j- just in our normal way we do things here on the show, we like to test some things sometime and discuss mm-hmm. it. And, and I, I mentioned to you in a little note that uh, it, it always seemed to me that olive tree was a little bit more consistent model for Israel. And, in mm-hmm. fact, the one that Paul uses is very, very explicit. He talks about them being the olive tree and us being grafted onto it, being Gentiles and in the church. Um, but some of the things I found in my research of the fig tree and again, I don't know anything sufficient to make any kind of major doctrine on it, but I find them intriguing uh, because the, the one thing I was concerned about with uh, us being so certain about the, 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 the uh, connection of the fig tree to Israel is that the fact that Jesus curses the fig tree and says that it will never bear fruit again uh, because I, I would hate for people to think that if that represents the entire nation of Israel, that the entire nation of Israel and who they are has been permanently cursed, they'll never bear fruit, and they're going to die. Because I think that would give ammunition to replacement theologians who believe that God is totally through with Israel. Uh, No matter what you think about the current Israel we have, uh, there's still an issue that God has a a future plan in Scripture uh, for their redemption uh, when their Messiah uh, is finally recognized and they call out to him. Uh, so I, I, I fear sometimes that they will use this as ammunition to say that all the promises of Israel are now directed to the church because he, he cursed this fig tree. Now, well, people uh, misuse the scripture all the time, you know, and just because they misuse it doesn't shouldn't keep us from exegeting it the way you know we believe the scriptures are teaching it. Right. Now, when Jesus cursed that fig tree, he was acting out the parable, you know. Uh-huh. He is, uh, the, See, the, the, uh, the last trip back to Jerusalem, he gave them a, a parable of the fig tree. Forget the, right now about the fact that the Old Testament sees Israel as the fig tree, all right? Mm-hmm. We're just going to look at what Jesus said. You know, He was on his way back to Jerusalem for the last time, and he spoke this parable, saying, A certain man had a fig tree and planted it in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit on it and found none. Then said he unto the, dress, uh, the dresser, now this is a parable uh-huh. of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I came seeking fruit on, on the fig tree. When in his ministry he came to Israel seeking, you know, for them to accept him as their, you know, Messiah, and he didn't. They right. didn't. And I have found none. Cut it down, wipe cumbereth at the ground. And so, this is a type of he's he's saying in this parable here that Israel is his fig tree, you know, and they he's come to them for three years and they have not accepted right. him as their Messiah. Now he goes on later on, you know, on his trip to Jerusalem, and when he gets to Jerusalem, he curses a fig tree. 
Now, he curses a literal physical tree. So it's the literal physical tree of which men will never, ever eat of again. But as far as the nation Israel, he's cursing, you know, the fact that they have not accepted him as their Messiah. You know, they had all the reason in the world in the Old Testament prophecies to know the day, you know, and the hour. And by the way, God holds us accountable as the church, you know, to know the, his timing for the rapture as well. His times and the, t- well. the seasons. Mm-hmm. Yes, right. you bet. Right. We don't we don't know the day or right. the hour specifically, but we know when we're getting close. So and this parable, the fig tree, is that sign that tells us we are the generation we're getting real close to his coming. So if I understand you correctly, I think you mentioned in your book that if something is represents something else or described to mean something else figuratively, in one parable, uh, your understanding of presumption is that it will stay the same in other parables that yes. are told. It's a way to comment That's out what of, Jesus said. Whereas... When he cursed the fig tree that died, it was not a parable per se. It was a yes. it was a real life event that happened. Yeah, he was acting out the parable. So, so in that case, what would you say the fig tree represented in the real life event? It it still represented Israel, but when he said no man shall eat of it, he was referring to the physical tree. It dried up from the roots, and it would never again bear fruit. And man would never eat from that fruit tree again. That specific fruit tree. But okay. the act of cursing it was a you know, his 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 um, statement against Israel for not accepting him as their Messiah. Okay. Yeah. But as far as parables are concerned, he said, uh, after he had gotten to giving them, you know, uh, some some parables, Jesus said, but know ye not this parable? How shall you know all parables? In other words, all the parables, when you use figurative language and when you use mm-hmm. uh, uh, like the field, the, the world in his parables all meant the field, you know, I mean, the field, excuse me, meant the world, you know. Right. And and so the expositional constancy requires, that's what Jesus is saying here, that in all the parables, the, the figure of speech that's used represents the same thing. So when when the fig tree represented Israel, when he said, I've come to you for three years, well, then the next parable that uses the fig tree is also Israel. Uh-huh. Well, um <clears throat> That and again, what 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 you've shared basically showing the difference in in the real life and the the parable sounds is very interesting uh, yeah. uh, and certainly very well maybe be the scenario. But if we could just consider this for food for thought, I'd like to get your comment on some some research and thing I'm doing. And, and I'm going to use a Paula Martin approach of looking back <laughs> in Matthew 24 and, and Luke 21 and considering uh, some other associations, sort of like mathematics when you have the associative property and you regroup uh, you're similarities of things. I don't know math. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't worry. That's that's uh, I, I probably squared equals one. I, I pro- yes, there you go. Very good. <laughs> I, I probably uh, misused that term anyway. But uh, going back and looking at just in one example in both Matthew 24 and Luke 21, mm-hmm. uh, when the fig tree parable is told, just a mm-hmm. couple verses prior to that, it talks about frightening signs in the heaven, uh, mm-hmm. seeing the host of heaven shaken uh, and falling to earth. And we, we understand host of heavens to be beings. Uh, in my understanding, um, it's it's almost identical to the description in Revelation, where it says the stars in heaven uh, fall to earth like figs falling from a fig tree. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you go back to Isaiah 34, which I just recently discovered is an almost verbatim passage to these other passages, it also talks about these heavenly hosts uh, being there and the powers in, in heaven being shaken, and that they would also fall. Uh, like figs from a fig tree. Mm-hmm. Again, so, when it, that's not a parable, okay? It is a simile, and there's a world of difference between the two. When mm-hmm. you say something is like something else, 
Uh-huh. Now you do not have that rule that says that, you know, uh, in a parable, you know, in a metaphor, if it means this one time, then it means the same thing the next time. And so you can use a simile. A simile is when you say something is like something else, but you use the word as or like. Now it's not following the rule of a parable. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, and I, and I admit that it's not described in the context of a parable, but it's, consist, it's inconsistent in the passages where it talks about the, the heavenly host falling from earth in the last days and the association with figs yeah. and, and falling like the uh, breeze, falling the early figs of the fig tree. Um, and, and a little research I did uh, about what was thought about figs as far as like what they pictured them metaphorically to be back then. Uh, I found out that the, the Jews, uh, ancient, ancient Jews, believed that the tree of knowledge of good and evil may have in fact been a fig tree. Uh, we just automatically assume it's an apple or something like that. Yeah. And that's one reason why it's thought that they actually used fig leaves to cover up uh, after they had this contact. And... Um, and, and if you look at the Hebrew words, uh, if you look at the word for fig and the word for lust, or basically uh, you know sexual uh, activity, the words are basically the same except for a few little two-dot accent marks uh, mm-hmm. that are marked. Other well, they can make a whole lot of difference. Well, I know. I'm not trivializing that. I'm just saying yeah. that uh, we, we find common a lot of times in these passages that, that uh, there's a similarity that they have an association even in the way they chose these words for their language themselves and how they wrote it uh, uh, down. Uh, and in fact, um, it, it even uh, became such a thing in the, in the ancient world, and this is something I just learned, that back from ancient times in the Middle East, they, they had a little hand signal, it was called the fig hand signal, that related to sexual misbehavior. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I know from talking to you before that, that you don't buy into the... Uh, uh, the Genesis chapter 6, as far as uh, angelic beings coming down, the Benai Elohim. Uh, right. We talk about that to some bit on our show. And most of the reasons why most of our, our authors have supported that is because the term Benai Elohim used elsewhere in the Old Testament always refers to heavenly host. Right. Uh, and in fact, it even uh, passages like Psalm 81, I believe, actually talk, oh, excuse me, 82, uh, actually talk about God judging these Benai Elohim mm-hmm. because of their mismanagement. Uh, of earth and, and the fact in the, the Old Testament. them to die like men. And, right, yeah. and it talks about that the, the number of the nations was ordered according to the number of the sons of God or the Benai Elohim. There's a number of other passages in there uh, that they support why Benai Elohim has to be these creatures. Um, the the, the uh, ancient world uh, belief as well, as well as their belief of the flood, also <laughs> believe that this event happened and was part of the terrible wickedness that we hear that caused the flood. So yeah. if that were true, and I'm saying as a hypothesis, that, that that would give maybe even a little bit more uh, support for it. And a little ironic historical note is even Michelangelo painted the tree in the garden as a fig tree in the Sistine Chapel, although the Pope didn't know it. Huh. Uh, interesting. He, he did a number of other things in there, too, that were a little yes. more ribald. But, well, these, uh, are, these ideas have been around for a long time, obviously, huh? Right. Right. Yeah. That's right. And so... But, uh, now, all I was my perspective, coming from my perspective, that's so highly uh, speculative. You know, mm-hmm. I need much more straightforward statements by God. You know, uh-huh. if that's the case before I hang my hat on. It's not again that uh, I don't believe in demon possession. You know, and uh, other things of that nature. You know, uh, demonic powers and everything. I do believe it, and I believe we're going to see that in the last days. I just don't believe it has anything to do with half-breeds between angels mm-hmm. and humanity. You mm-hmm. know, because in that case, 
why did the giants continue after the flood? Yeah, it says that the Nephilim the were on. Let's get rid of them. Well, it says they were on before and after the flood. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it says that the, the when the spies went in the land, it said they looked like grasshoppers next to them. And now, uh, you know what? Here's a, here's another idea that I, I really want to share with you about that. Yeah. Uh, do you know who Dr. Carl Ball is? I'm not sure that rings a bell with me. No. Nope. Well, he, a he has a program, huh? Drawn a blank. Okay, he, he's a scientist, and he has a museum down in Texas. And right now I'm drawing a blank of the name of his program. Mm-hmm. In the beginning, I think it is. But anyhow, right. he actually had the skeleton of a giant. In, oh, I think it was like 14 feet tall. It was uh-huh. big. Yeah. 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 But, he, but it wasn't just the people that were big at that time. All of the animals were big. The plants were big. And, and the reason he says that that was the case was because the canopy above the earth before the flood kept the atmospheric pressure higher and people and everything flourished bigger during huh. that time hmm. now after the flood people began to lose that advantage of the uh, higher atmospheric pressure and and people became you know shorter and shorter and shorter you know but that doesn't mean that you know there weren't some lingering you know hmm. giants through the land like you know like uh, david and goliath you know right. <clears throat> so we were... there are there are other explanations for these giants well, besides a mixture between angels and mankind. That's an interesting uh, uh, thought, and because we know that there's still a number of giants by numerous descriptions in the Old Testament after the flood yeah. when they went to Promised Land, because Og, king of Bashan, yeah. had a bed was like 18 feet long, and well, of course I we thought, don't I thought we as a human race though were getting taller. Well, we are right at the moment because of our diet, you know. Right. But for a long for a long while we got right. shorter and shorter, just like we got, you know, we died earlier and earlier and earlier because. We no longer had the protection of that canopy over the earth. You and, know. And, my, and I'm not a scientist. I'm right. just I'm just quoting sure. what he says. You well, know. And my White Castle intake, I'm sure, has helped a lot in helping me reach my stature. Uh, talk about good <laughs> okay. Welcome back to the Future Quake Show with Doctor Future and Tom Bionic. Yeah. What? How do you spell that? T D B I G R N. Okay. It's like you rolled, your, you rolled your forearm across the keyboard. I, and stuff I-N-G. That. Well, um, we, it, this was a very interesting talk because we put a lot of uh, varying viewpoints out on the table. I, I really enjoyed that. Uh, I know some of you probably think, like uh, Miss Martin, that I was probably crazy uh, with my mentioning about the figs. But I think there may be more than meets the eye here. Um, one of the things I didn't say, I really talked about what uh, the, the Hebrew words and what some of the uh, ancient uh, traditions believe about the association of fig with sexual connotation or mm-hmm. lust. But uh, I didn't really have time to bring it full circle about the Benai Elohim and their reputation for lusting after the uh, the, the women of mankind mm-hmm. and how uh, this suggests possibly that uh, when the stars of heaven or heavenly hosts fall, that um, they're going to be back at it again. Hmm. Which, which makes it interesting. If yeah. there is, and I, I realize it's speculation, but if it, there is association, when it says the parable of the fig tree says when the when the leaves are ripe and tender, mm-hmm. I wonder if that means when we start seeing the inklings of the signs in heaven, the first few things that stuff in the sky people point out, or or maybe even some of these abduction things that yeah. are recorded. Well, you like did that. make you did make the point. I think like the Vatican astronomers were. They say something's coming. Something's, something's on the way. Big. Um, even though, on the other hand, like we cover in our news on Friday, that um, they said, don't worry, the world's not ending. Yeah, the Pope said that. Right. Yeah. But uh, we're hearing strange reports of things uh, that involve genetic experiments, mm-hmm. experiments with human body, sexual kind of things. Right now, isolated. 
And I just wonder sometimes if that may be as the the rustling of the leaves of the fig tree. Could be. Very interesting point. Oh, no. I know it's far out. I agree. But uh, speaking of far out, Merv needs to come in and tell our listeners (sighs) how they can tell how to get a hold of Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or Internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the shows, topics, or guests, or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, we got to go. All right, well, folks, thank you for listening to Future Quick. We're going to be back uh, tomorrow with more Paula Martin. Our last segment. And it'll be our last segment. Until then, we hope your future is very bright. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. 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 Welcome to the Thursday edition of the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I, of course, am the always effervescent and sound effect friendly Tom Bionic. Yeah. Uh, Except I think, for this time. Is it polygrip or is it... I, I for, Polygraph? I, I thought, no, I was thinking of the denture. It's not an adhesive. It's um, the, the name hit me on the last show when you said effervescent. Yeah. It's oh, the tablets uh, you drop into Efferdent. Efferdent to clean dentures is also effervescent. So oh, yeah. I'm assuming that's what your allusion is to. Well, it's it's actually to the polydent because I put it on your hand. You know, you can walk on the ceiling with them. I've never done that. <laughs> I hate to see your walls over there. <laughs> it's okay. I rent. Okay. <laughs> Well, uh, we're going to go directly to the interview, but uh, by the way, we didn't talk last time about uh, her comment about the New Testament saints rising at the end of the... Yeah, she did did mention that. I mean, we talked about it in the show, but I mean, uh, comment, you and I. Yes. Um, I I do know there's a lot of teaching on that. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's conclusive or not? Uh, Maybe if you're talking to David Lowe. I mean, you think he thinks the same thing, that the, that the, uh, the Old Testament saints rise at the end? I thought. Uh, oh, at the oh, oh! I thought you were talking about the saints that from in Jerusalem. No, 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 no! no. I'm talking about the Old Testament ones. Boy, um, I'm gonna have to go with maybe not conclusive. Okay. Well, we'll see. Uh, Paula makes the great arguments and uh, great discussions. Yeah. So we got one more segment of that. So with no further ado, here's Miss Paula Martin, and we'll be right back to wrap up on Future Quake. I need to change a topic before I go okay. into. Uh, uh, more trouble here. We get into our our last quadrant of our uh, show here. There's a, there's another um, camp of people that you alluded to that are very interested in Matthew 24, and those are fellow believers who of the or of the pre-wrath uh, belief, pre-wrath rapture. Now they still believe in rapture. They're not post-tribbers. Uh, they just believe that there is a there is an argument in Scripture between the time of which uh, mankind, all mankind, gets the wrath of uh, devil, nature, whatever, and then there's a time it's focused where the wrath comes directly from God, and that's their their fundamental premise. Now, <clears throat> to me, my understanding of how they take Matthew 24 is they take the entire thing chronologically. They mm-hmm. they don't go into a second coming passage, then do some other things, and then go to a rapture and and do that. 
uh, they just say, okay, everything we read here is chronological. So, so they get into passages like about the abomination of desolation, running away. They assume that's all, all uh, Christians. And then they get to the, the passages you're referring to and say, yep, it is a rapture. It is talking about Noah then. Um, what is wrong with their approach to eschatology and particularly well, this passage and just taking it verse by verse that way? First of all, you have to consider who Jesus is speaking to. These are disciples, but they're also Jews. Okay, <clears throat> so while Matthew 24 is not particularly Jewish, as some people say, you know, so it, and that's why they get their argument that it's only about the second coming. But uh, I lost my train of thought. Uh, <laughs> can't remember what I was going to say now. Uh, anyhow. Um, what was your question? I'm well, sorry. Well, ab- about uh, the, the pre-wrath people take this passage oh. uh, just yeah. verse by verse, uh, assume that we experience the abomination of desolation, everybody runs away from their house, and then sometime after that, the later part of that passage where it talks about uh, like it will be uh, with the times of Noah, mm-hmm. that, that hey, that suggests that you know would be a rapture. Now, that's not what they build their whole theology. There's other passages they no. do, but that's no, just – it, it, it works convenient for them in this passage. Well, yeah. You must realize that God set out his scriptures in such a way that we can't mess it up. In other words, he didn't set the whole doctrine of salvation all in one verse or one chapter or one book. Okay, mm-hmm. And the Bible says that it's precept upon precept, line upon line. Here or there, here a little, there a little. You know, So we cannot, when we're, talk, when, when we're studying doctrine, and I'm not talking about a narrative of this event happening and then that event. I'm talking about doctrine, okay? Uh-huh. When, doc- when Jesus was teaching the doctrine of his coming again, he didn't just set out a straight line, you know, a declaration of this is going to happen, then this, then this, then this, then this, because no doctrine is set out that way. Right. So that would be my first, you know, and major response to somebody. Then you, of course, have to simply take into account what is he saying and to who is he saying and what's it talking about, you know? When he says... There shall be, you know, the great tribulation, there shall be no flesh saved. He's certainly not talking about the beginning of the tribulation there, you know. So right. we, have, we have to simply use common sense like we would for anything else when oh, we read it. Okay, so the premise would be in this one passage, it, he, he's doing one set talk, but he's breaking up segments of the talk, according to your proposal, yeah. to different groups of people. Uh, about different, different fa- Okay, about different Let me put it this way. If you look at Jesus' discourses, not just Matthew 24, but Luke 12, 11, Luke 21, and Mark 13, and Matthew 24, those are the major discourses. You hold up both of your hands, and on your left side you have Luke 12 and Luke 17. Now, this is for the people listening so they can kind of help you know, get an idea of what I'm talking about. In those two chapters, Jesus speaks of nothing but the rapture. And then in Luke 21 and Mark 13... He speaks on your right, you hold up your right hand, he speaks only of the second coming there. And then if you clasp your hands together, he brings both of those sets of pictures together in Matthew 24. Okay, even though those aren't all the same discourse with just abbreviated, uh, they are different things, but they all sort of give a little bit of a story. Matt 24 is sort sort of the spine that puts them all together. Yeah, yeah, that's where he brings both sets of pictures together, the, the, the second coming on the right, the, 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 um, the rapture passages on the left, and if you will look at Mark 13, which is the Olivet Discourse, except that the Holy Spirit has marked, leave out every one of those rapture passages that are in Luke 12 and Luke 17, mm-hmm. that are, of course, in Matthew 24 as well, <laughs> but in, in, in Mark 13, every one of them is left out. Right. That's the print of the Holy Spirit, huh. showing you 
that God knows, that Jesus knew when he was speaking also of the rapture, when he was speaking of the second coming, he brings them together in Matthew 24. Mm-hmm. You know, okay. So you can kind of use what he told us in Luke 12 and 17 and recognize they're not at, they're all in Matthew 24, but they're not in Mark 13, which is the Olivet Discourse as well. Hmm. Okay. So God separated them. It's a beautiful picture of God's control over his word and the inspiration of his word as well. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, you uh, mentioned the word wrath in your discussion in your book. Uh, mm-hmm. That comes from the passage in First Thessalonians five, and I believe it's something about God's not pointing us to wrath yeah. uh, as a sign that that wrath reply, uh, refers to the great tribulation, which you define to be a full seven-year period. Uh, mm-hmm. Why, why that single word wrath? Do you feel you can go so far as to define that as the entire seventieth week? Because that's where other uh, the pre-wrathers might differ from you, where they mm-hmm. agree that hey, we're not here for God's wrath, or we're here for the earlier stuff that happens in the earlier part of the 70th week. How, how do you, with confidence, say that's the entire 70th week? Okay. First of all, God never deals with us with, uh, in wrath because he deals with us in grace. Right. Because of what Jesus did. And I think that's, that's understood, one. yeah. Yeah, okay. That's number one. Number two, if you look, I'm, I'm not an expert on Revelation, but let me just give you what I do understand about it. Uh-huh. When, you look at, when you look at the seals and the, the trumpets and the bowls, at the end of each one of those, it's stated that they are the wrath of God. Those right. seals are the wrath. You know, the the, the the you know the bowls are the trumpets are the, are the wrath, and, and and so that's why I assume. I mean, that's just right. the main reason I assume that when he's talking about the wrath, he's talking about the tribulation because he's not de- even now he's not dealing with in his with us in his wrath. You know, uh-huh. during the church age, and right. he's not going to deal. You know, we're not going to go through the tribulation. You know, and the seals would start out the tribulation and be under his wrath. You know, we're going to be gone before, you know, he executes his wrath on mankind. He, that wrath is for the Christ-rejecting world, right. whether it be the Gentiles or Jews. I think we all agree <laughs> on that. I just I think some Christians might differ a little bit on when the wrath segment of the 70th week occurs, because um, I know the bowls that are described in Revelation are clearly said they're bowls of God's wrath. Uh, well, the, the, those are the seals. Those are, well, the seals, if I recollect, are basically they're opened— and they, a, you, you basically are told, come and see, and there are events that occur. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't. They're not events. That's that's the mistake. That's another mistake. I find nobody seeing mm-hmm. whatsoever. Okay. The seals are nothing more than a description. In other words, the Antichrist doesn't come on the scene and then he disappears, and then uh-huh. war, a war comes on the scene right. and then it disappears. They are the seals are a description of the entire dis- uh, uh, tribulation period. Now the you know the uh, trumpets and the thunders and the bowls, they deal with these specific plagues during the tribulation <laughs> so if the seals are just a description of the whole period and he says that's, that's his wrath then the whole period is his wrath mm-hmm. well uh if well if, if a and b are true then you're right c would be be true i know we've had a number of authors who have uh raised some alternative interpretations of those seals on whether they're actually events that happened during the church age or ones that just happened uh, during the 70th week of Daniel, and it provides some interesting forethought, and maybe maybe that's something we can explore in a later show sometime. Well, you know, uh, I, I listened to your tape for the first time. I had a whole lot of trouble with listening to it because every three minutes it would go back to the beginning. <laughs> and I, I had to have a lot of patience to listen to that program. Well, you know, yeah, you're, I've you're, never heard these ideas before. You're talking you know? about, wait a second, you're talking about the one with Peter Goodgame? 
Yeah, the very last one were, you had with were him. You having, got, were you having a mechanical problem or some kind of problem with the file? I don't know if it's an AOL problem, if it's a problem that's, with your program. But well, every three minutes, it would go back. That's interesting because you're not the first person who's had problems downloading that show. That one show, uh, we've had several reports of people having problems like that. Uh, we're not having problems on our end when we download it. Uh, some others mm-hmm. are, but there's some that are. Yeah. I don't know whether it has something to do with a browser that's being used or what. We we open ours in a Win yeah. app. Uh, we've never had this issue with any other files, so I apologize about that problem. Yeah. I made it very. Were well, I had a lot of patience. <laughs> were, were you finally able to get through it? Yes, I did. Okay, and, and actually, I'm pretty dogged when it comes to that. You know, <laughs> that that really that really was just a uh, sort of a uh, welcome back to Peter Goodgame because he'd been gone for so yeah. long. We didn't go in exhaustive detail yeah. about. You might check out the, the what is it show sixty? The legendary show sixty four. Everybody yeah. seems to tell us yeah. they you love. You know what? I, I looked at your whole website and I couldn't find them. First of all, by number, yeah. so I don't know which one is sixty four. Uh, you know. if, if you look under Peter Goodgame, you ought to find something pretty interesting. Yeah. Oh, uh, under his name, uh, yeah. Peter Goodgame, you, you you'll find something that'll provide food for thought whether you agree with it or not yeah. uh, he's one that just provides some some interesting food for yeah. thought on looking at scriptures and uh, he's not alone david lowe is another one who's had some tremendous mm-hmm. work on our show as well and uh, i think it's good that we have these kind of discussions like we're having tonight and yeah. that we do it in, a, in a, an atmosphere of mutual respect and to uh to, to, to try our understanding of putting the different messages throughout Scripture into a coherent uh, package. I think this is all very healthy, what you know, we do. You know how young theologian students are like. I mean, they love to sit around the seminaries and, and discuss with one another this doctrine and that doctrine. Well, <laughs> I think all of us who really love God's Word love to do it as well, you know. And it shouldn't it shouldn't be a, you know, a stumbling block. It should be a, no. a joy. Yeah, exactly. Get to share the, the word of God like that. Different you know? theories, and everybody right. comes together in a you know in an environment of respect and love, and that's Absolutely. right. Yeah. Well, Absolutely. we're we're getting down to the the latter stages of our interview, but I want to ask at least one more example uh, that you give regarding to your interpretation, and there have been lots of different interpretations out there on this, uh, but I think yours is of interest to discuss, and that is what the eagles and the carcass represent. In these passages about where the carcass is, there the eagles uh, shall be. Mm-hmm. Can you share with us just briefly about that? Sure. Um, when I was a new Christian trying to figure out Matthew 24, and I ran across that, and I was aware that there were teachers that just wouldn't touch it because nobody knows what it means. And some of them would, would say, well, maybe it means vultures instead of eagles. Because if you plug in vultures in that, that, that well, it's a riddle. It's not even a parable. It's a riddle. Um, then it makes sense. But every place in the New Testament where eon is used, um, it means eagles, not vultures. Uh-huh. So Jesus has given us a riddle. Wherever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. So one day it dawned on me, you know what, I'm going to see how the Old Testament uses um, the word eagles. So I went on my you know, computer, and I found the first instance of it. And it's, I mean, it just floored me when I read it. Because it's the very first instance. You know, they, we have the rule, again, in theology where... When you're studying the Word of God, the first time a word is mentioned, it usually gives you the, the at least the metaphorical use of that word. Okay. Right. So <clears throat> it's called the law of first mention. And uh, so I looked it up on the computer, and, and lo and behold, I, let me read it to you. It was so uh-huh. beautiful, and I've heard so many teachers, teachers, and just in the last few um, months, read this and just go on like it's like it's, it's nothing. And, uh-huh. and, and God, God says to Moses. Uh, I want you to remind the people that uh, you have seen what I did unto the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. Now, did God 
pick them up on eagle's wings and take them across the Red Sea? No. He parted the Red Sea and they walked across on dry ground. It's a metaphor. And it's a metaphor using eagles. So that gives us a clue as to how eagles are used metaphorically in Scripture. They're used as of deliverance. Mm-hmm. The only, uh, besides the riddles in Luke 17 and Matthew 24, the only other use of re, uh, eagles in a metaphorical sense, not a simile, not mm-hmm. an analogy, not a literal speaking of it, but just of a metaphorical use, is in Revelation, I think it's 8 something or other, where it talks about Israel being, you know, carried out on eagles' wings again. Uh-huh. They're going to be delivered in safety away from the Antichrist during the tribulation period. So, each time the eagles are used metaphorically, they're talking about God's deliverance of his people. So when it's used in the uh, <clears throat> discourses about the end times, what that riddle is saying metaphorically is that the church is going to be delivered from the tribulation. You know, we're going to be raptured. And if you stop and think about it, where are we going to meet the Lord? In the air, where eagles fly. Okay. And the dead in, huh? Okay. And then as far as the carcasses, you know, as, as opposed to the body, in, in Matthew 24, the word Jesus uses is carcass, a literal dead body. In Matthew, in Luke 17, where he uses the riddle, he changes the word carcass to body, which is a whole sound body. Now, it can be a dead, but usually it's speaking mm-hmm. of, of a sound whole body as opposed to a carcass that's been eaten up, you know. Uh-huh. <clears throat> so I see... That when he used the, the parable of the fig tree, I mean, excuse me, when he used the riddle and he used the word body, he was talking about, the, you know, um, we who are alive and remain, we're going to be raptured to meet the Lord in the air, alive in whole bodies, sound bodies. Where where he uses the, the riddle and he talks about, you know, the carcass, the dead in Christ shall meet the Lord in the air as well. You know, so he uses the phraseology for dead, you know. And I see that I see beautiful, beautifully that Jesus is even differentiating, you know, between the dead in Christ rising and we who are alive and remain rising to meet Him in the air, where eagles fly. So you think you would actually refer to the 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 dead saints, Christian saints, as a carcass? Well, it's 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 it, 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 yeah, they are dead. <laughs> okay. You know, they they are carcasses in the grave. You know, um, yeah. Okay. I have no problem with that. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, you know, you know, early in my walk with the Lord, when I was trying to understand that riddle, and I right. didn't know what to call it at the time, I remember thinking it was. I tried to make it fit the, the second, you know, the second coming. You know, uh-huh. this is before I ever saw the, you know, all the different pictures of the rapture and everything. And I just didn't have peace in my mind, in, in my spirit. But when I finally saw this, I mean, I was hopping happy, you know, because huh. <laughs> I could see even Jesus being so. Uh, precise that he gives us two different pictures of the dead in Christ rising and we who are alive and remain rising. Well, my understanding is he compares that passage. He says that uh, in response to his teaching immediately preceding that where he says, beware of false Christ. If they say that the Christ is here, the Christ is there. Mm -hmm. Why would he choose to tell this riddle to (coughs) reinforce that point? Because, again, it said, let me go back to it, Matthew. I'm not good at off the cuff this, stuff here. This, I, have to, I have to see the scripture in front of me. Um, well, I, I think that's a, a healthy thing to do. A lot of times we speak off the cuff. I know I do. Yeah. Uh, Behold, and, and, he is in the desert. He said, it says, Behold, well, he is in, you know, when they tell you that I'm in the desert or I'm in a secret chamber, don't believe them because my life, my, my coming is going to be so fast. That's the lightning. Uh-huh. And then he says, and you're going to, I'm going to meet, you're going to meet me in the air. You're not going to find me in some chamber. 
Uh-huh. You're not going to find me in some desert place, right. you know, and it's, and it's going to be real fast. So the, both of those references, you know, start with the, you know, uh, with the word for, you know, showing uh-huh. us the reason for why this is so, you know, and there are pictures, therefore, of the rapture, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, if they were speaking of the tribulation period, the Antichrist is, who's going to be claiming to be God is not going to be hiding in some, you know, uh-huh. uh, secret chambers or in some, you know, some desert, you know. Place. He's going to be out there strutting his stuff on, on, on the state. <laughs> At least at some point, <laughs> some point he is. You know, uh, a, a lot of the um, occult world, the guys, the people who are looking for this leader and actually anticipating him, they actually teach that he will unveil himself. And this goes all the way back to the time of ancient Babylon and, and ancient Egypt, that he is going to reveal himself actually from a secret chamber in a desert area. And in fact, the Egyptians believe that's the Great Pyramid, mm-hmm. which yeah. is certainly well, a place in the desert. And it has a secret chamber. Yeah. And they teach that uh, Osiris will rise again as Horus out of that passage. Very very interesting because they did, you know, mummify Osiris, supposedly. Right. Well, you know, uh, one one thing I don't know is mythology. I have just never, ever studied this. So Uh you're you're talking about stuff that's Greek to me. (laughs) (laughs) Or or older. Or Egyptian, yeah. (laughs) Well, we're we're coming up at the end of our talk. I want to ask you real quick. in, in summary, how would you phrase in a few words what you hope to accomplish with this book, and how has it been received? Well, again, um, I want to give Christians the surety of God's, you know, God's word that that not only did Jesus teach it, but He proved the pre-trib rapture. Uh-huh. When times are tough, like they are right now, and maybe get a whole lot worse, they need to have that hope that Jesus could come any day, mm-hmm. any yeah. moment, yeah. you know, and rapture us out of this world, and we are not. Going to go, you know. That was the whole thing that why Paul wrote that second chapter of Second Thessalonians because the Christians had been told that the tribulation they were going uh-huh, through was right. the Great Tribulation. And, and, he was, <laughs> and if Paul thought it was necessary to write a whole yeah. letter, you know, and it got in our Bible to to warn us, you know, and to give us the comfort of the fact we're not going through the tribulation, right? As Paul did, then that's behooves us as Christians to understand that. Sure. And so much of is taught, you know. Christians sit there and listen to, when, like when you say pastors say, those taken, the, yeah. those two in the bed, one taken, one left, that doesn't refer to the rapture. Well, they, they, they shake their heads and go, well, you know, why should I believe anything? Right. You know, that's right. so obviously the rapture. Right. You know? So Christians need to have the surety that Jesus understood the rapture, that he mm-hmm. taught it, and he, that he taught a pre-trib rapture. Okay. You know, he separated the two pictures. You know, and by the way, the abomination of desolation, which is the midpoint, uh-huh. It never is never treated by Jesus as a separate, you know, uh, discourse. Uh, interesting. <clears throat> he only talked of the rapture pictures by themselves and the second coming by themselves. But anytime he includes the abomination, because it's not a coming, it's always included in uh-huh. you know in the the other pictures huh. of the actual coming. Well, that's an interesting thought to leave us with. We're going to have to call it a day right now. Okay. But I, I want to tell you, you've been a fabulous guest, and we would love to have you back. And mm-hmm. this has been a great discourse uh, that we've had on this topic. I hope our listeners have enjoyed it. But we would be remiss if you could, uh, if we didn't have you tell them exactly how they can get a hold of your book. Oh, okay. Well, you can go into the bookstore and order it. Just know the name of the, uh, the title of the book. The Pre-Trib Rapture, choreographed in the Gospels. That's the full title. And if you forget it, we'll put we'll put it in the archive with this our show here. Oh, okay. You can look up the name. Yeah. Or my name. Just say you know I, I know Paul's written a book about uh-huh. the Pre-Trib Rapture, Paul Martin, and and they can order it for you because it's distributed by uh, the same distributor that distributes all the books. You know, at all yeah. the bookstores. Yeah. 
Or you can go online to Amazon or Zulon Press, who's the publisher. Uh-huh. Or you can go to uh, Books a Million, uh, uh, Barnes & Noble, any online, and you can order it. All those small places. Well, I found yeah. your link at Lifeway Stores, and if you don't mind, I'd like to put that up on our website, too. Yes, I, I didn't know it was on there. Okay. I just want to tell our listeners, if you go to a uh, bookstore, mention her name, but do not mention Dr. Future or Tom Bionic, or they may take a swing at you. Yeah. They don't want to do that. <laughs> you wind up in cuffs in the back room. They'll lock, you, they'll lock you out the door, but by all means, drop Paula Martin's name and... You're going to get a good book. Thank you so much for joining us for this. I hope Thank you, you for having me. I yeah. hope you enjoyed it. I did. It was really a, a lot of fun. Well, yeah. and uh, be sure and tell uh, any of the other associates to be sure and check out this show as, as, a, as a good little chat summarizing uh, your book and some of the issues. So I want to mm-hmm. thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. We're back at the Future Quake Show with Dr. Future. And, Tom, I am not an eagle or a carcass Bionic. Boy, that is a long uh, middle name. Well, you know, it changes every couple of days. That's an even worse one than Hussein. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, yes, it is. Yeah. Well, speaking of uh, eagles and carcasses, I guess that's a good segue. Uh, we talked about that in this show. Ding, ding, ding. What are your thoughts about that? Um, you know, she has some very interesting ideas, and um, I don't know. I'm going to have to check into them further yeah. before I go... Well, okay, I definitely agree with that, or I definitely disagree with that. But you know, we she did get into the uh, uh, the eagles a little bit and the carcasses, and uh, um, I think at the I think at the end of the show we also got into a little bit the idea that uh, you know Peter Goodgame brought up about the um, uh, the uh, uh, the Antichrist first revealing himself in the secret room or yeah yeah, yeah in yeah, the yeah, desert yeah. yeah, which is again a completely whole different field of of review from those that. That Miss Martin comes from. Yes, and mm-hmm. we find it all fascinating yeah. here. I'm just glad that she took the time out of the day and got on the show and you know, well, wrapped with us. And uh, I highly recommend people uh, get the book, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, it adds to your library of uh, some some other findings that are there as well too. So I, I definitely think that is uh, worthwhile to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, eagles also are, are pictured in scripture associated with kings mm-hmm. or with leaders of, of countries or countries. Like some of the animals that are talked about, the kingdoms that rise. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have uh, my materials here to go in detail about it, but uh, I often wonder sometimes if the eagle that actually proclaims around the world about woe on the world mm-hmm. is one of the world leaders that doesn't play along with the Antichrist at his resurrection and warns the world, flies around and tells them that uh, well, bad you know, stuff's coming. Well, you know, in Matthew 13, I think they, they ascribe the birds of the air uh, as actually... You can make a you can make a case that that's actually the evil one. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. When you go back to the like the parable of so, the ravens pick up the food, you know, I, yeah. you can go all over. I think you can go all over the map with the with the birds. Well, uh, everybody, uh, continue to pursue knowledge yep. in this area, and we'll try to do that here. Uh, Merv can tell you how you can pursue us. So Merv, come in and tell them how they can contact us. Future Quake Radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or Internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. 
Okay, we're in the last 10 seconds. That was a good segue. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, uh, come back for tomorrow's Tremors tomorrow. I think you'll enjoy it and review the news. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Goodbye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake. Welcome to the Friday edition of the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom Bionic. And being that it's Friday, it's uh, tomorrow's tremor or today's future review of the news. Very close. Today's review of the future's news. Oh, well. I'm, I know. I, you've only been here like a year. I, uh, I, uh, um, I, I flipped a term around. What can I say? Yeah. Sorry. I mean, I, a minus at your best grade so far. All right, cool. Most improved. I was going to say Christmas, but I thought, no, I'll actually try this time. Yeah. Well, hey, uh, I guess since we have guests here, I mean, uh, an audience, we should acknowledge them. Ladies and gentlemen, doing? it's great to be with you today. We hope you enjoyed the interview with Paula Martin this week. And uh, Fridays are the days that we record our review of the news that's going on, particularly passages you may not have seen. Um, if you can tell by my voice, I'm still somewhat under the weather, although just in the last day, started feeling a good bit better but the doctors are still a little baffled with me and uh they said i may have to go to ear nose and throat specialist yeah I, this doesn't fix it for you surgery got, yeah you got ebola yeah i think it's a mild uh, strain of that andromeda strain oh uh, you, you strained your andromeda well you know, you know the movie the andromeda oh strain. yeah very good yeah. All right. people's blood turned to dust i hate when that happens well, well, the upside is, is to get a transfusion, you just got to go out in the backyard and get a shovel. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think something you would agree with me, Tom, is that um, these have been challenging days for both of us. Yes. Um, Holy moly. On a whole bunch of different aspects yeah. of our life. Uh, <clears throat> health, economic, uh, other issues going on, just yeah. all of the above. All the kind of stuff we talk about on our show. Yeah, it's all happening we to are us not at the immune. same time. <laughs> You know, we may know the good yeah. stuff and all right stuff. That didn't mean we still don't get impacted with things. So yep. uh, would I be out of turn to just ask our listeners to keep you and I in our prayers, in their prayers? Well, I was going to one-up us and just say, why don't I just say a quick prayer for the both of us and our listeners. Okay. And uh, that's how we'll that's how we'll take a swing at it. We'll get on the news. We'll yep. lay it on us. Heavenly Father, I just want to praise you and thank you for the things that you do and uh, in working in our lives. It never seems like it's it's what we want, but we know that... All things work together for those who love you, uh, and we both love you a lot, Father. Please hold us up uh, in Future Quake Up, but also hold up our listeners, yes. work in their lives as well. Um, there's a whole lot of crazy stuff going on in my life and a whole lot of crazy stuff going on in Dr. Future's life. So, Lord, I'm just asking you to put your hand on on all that we do, uh, move aside the evil, hold back the, the bad stuff that seeks to harm us, and uh, lift us up, Father. And Heavenly Father, I'd just like to reiterate again about our listeners. Uh, they're going through even much more than what we're going through here. Yes. I just want them to know that we don't forget them. We lift them up now. We thank you for their loyalty uh, here, and we just ask that you would bless them in the way you see fit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Well, let's get on to some news. Word. Well, you go first. Right. I am selecting you to go first. Fat City. Well, mine, uh, you know, as our listeners, I'm sure. Oh, know. oh quick one quick announcement. That's it. Uh, heard from a couple of people that were downloading the Peter Good Game Show, mm -hmm. which, by the way, 
we had over three times the number of downloads yesterday of what a normal daily download is. Wow. I mean, it was enormous, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, we thank all of you, but uh, there was a couple of people that said when they downloaded it, they only got like two or three or four minutes of it to play, mm-hmm. and uh, we're still not real sure about that. Uh, the only thing I can guess is that the servers were overloaded just simply because in a short period of time, so many people downloaded the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, so all I would suggest is if you've had a problem and you've not emailed us up to now, try again. Try re-downloading it. It's worth the effort. I've I've gone to the website and done it directly. It seems to work fine in Winamp. Uh, so I would suggest other folks do the same. And mm-hmm. if you still have problems, drop us an email and let us know. Yeah, so, sorry about that. That's cool. Just want to catch people who are getting frustrated out there. That's fine. Okay. Uh, what else? I think that's it. Let's have a story. Yeah, it's story time. Yeah. Uh, as as most of our listeners know, uh, there seems to be a pretty wide split on uh, the evangelical church and the Catholic church, various doctrines and, and whatnot. Yeah, I think uh, they had like War of the Roses and stuff like that. Yeah, a couple of things like that. Well, let's add uh, let's add this latest Times Online article here. The Pope says the end of the world is not nigh. Uh, the Pope reassures that alarmist readings foretelling the end of the world are false, which stands in stark yeah. contrast to what many of my uh, yeah. uh, brothers in the Lord have been saying and intimating. Did he al- does does he also say don't bother wasting your time listening to Future Quake either? Is that he said? Wrapped into and it that? says it says right here, and especially uh, uh, Doctor Future is a heretic. Yeah. We've we've got a special stake. For him. He probably just read yeah, that not, online. Yeah, it's not like a Kansas City strip steak. Okay. Yeah. All right. So. Well, they'll dig up our bones one day and excommunicate them. There you go. Um, Which is fatally ironic of what our listeners will see of us here uh-huh. very shortly. Yeah, I was going to say. I didn't know how to work that in. And but, a you know. Chris Pinto uh, video that mm-hmm. we'll be unveiling very, very soon. Yeah. Uh, I'll give anybody I'll give anybody <clears throat> a dollar if they can pick me out in the scene uh, without looking at the credits. Well, we're going to announce all that. We they don't yeah. know anything what's going on. We're I gonna, know. Uh, well, we're just going to have we'll to bring the director suspense. on, and uh, we've got a bombshell announcement. So, Kaplui. Yeah, back to the Pope. The closing days of 2008 may be marked by floods, terrorism, and global financial collapse. But Pope Benedict eleventh, uh, XVI, eleventh, no uh, XVI, that'd That's be sixteenth. Yeah, sorry, sixteenth, yeah. has assured believers that the end of the world is not nigh. Speaking at a ceremony at which the blessed figures of the infant Jesus for Rome nativity cribs, the Pope said there has been alarmist there has been alarmism about the end of the world since the days of Saint Paul, who in his letter to the Philippians had told early Christians to rejoice because the Lord is at hand. This had been wrongly taken to mean the imminent approach of the last judgment. Hmm. There you have it. Uh in his second letter to the Thessalonians St. Paul predicted a day when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Disbelievers shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. St. Paul said, uh, that's 2 Thessalonians 17 and 18, I think that's a typo. Uh, But what does it mean that the Lord is near? Pope Benedict asked, In what sense must we understand this closeness of God? The Apostle Paul, in writing to the Christians of Philippi, is clearly thinking of the return of Christ and is inviting them to rejoice because this is certain. 
However, St. Paul also made clear in his first letter to the Thessalonians that no one can know the moment of the Lord's coming, the Pope said. The apostle, remarking that the day would arrive like a thief in the night, had cautioned against alarmism over the imminent return of Christ, telling his readers not to be troubled or shaken in mind by the fact that the day of Christ is at hand. Pope Benedict commented that already at that time the church, illuminated by the Holy Spirit, increasingly understood that the closeness of God is not a question of space and time, but a question of love. Uh. Love draws near. Um, huh. I'm pretty sure that's not what Paul meant, but far be it from me to Well, we'll just have him on the show and let you two go at it. I'll bring it. Okay. Bring it. I need a special Vatican My grandfather went to school with his predecessor. So Really? Really. Was he a cardinal? No. Okay. They went to the same uh, grade school, actually. Really? In Poland, yeah. Oh, interesting. Uh, he had all these, my grandfather had all these cards that were like signed by the Pope. Huh. You know, they said, thinking of you, yeah. um, John Paul. Huh. You know, some other ones that were signed in, like, Polish. Yeah. So, um, where was I? St. Paul adds in his letters that the end of days shall not come except that there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. In one modern translation, the Revised English Bible, this reads, That day cannot come before the final rebellion against God, when wickedness will be revealed in human form, the man doomed to destruction. The coming of the wicked one sent by Satan will be attended by all the powerful signs and miracles that falsehood can devise, St. Paul writes. However... The Lord Jesus will destroy the wicked one with the breath of his mouth and will annihilate him by the radiance of his presence. Last year, the Pope dismissed recurring messianical predictions of the imminent end of the world, saying, History is ongoing and involves human tragedies and natural calamities. He added, echoing Pope John Paul II, his predecessor, Do not be afraid, for I sit on the seven hills. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> I put in that last part. Okay, and that was from the London Times. That was the, uh, yeah, the Times Online. That's quite a story. Uh, you know, a few things come to mind. I'm not an expert on Catholic uh, uh Pay no attention to the beast behind the curtain. Uh, but uh, my understanding is they are amillennialist yes. in that they believe the capital C church mm-hmm. will conquer the world, do all the heavy lifting, and then hang the or hand the keys over to Jesus. Once they've conquered it. Now, I hope to not be trivializing uh, their position, but that's just my gist of it. We might have to ask, you know who knows a lot about that? Uh, his, his brother Tom. Yeah. He's a big, he's big yeah. into that. So. Or anyone else, if you want to clarify our audience. Yeah. We had one listener one time um, uh, send us a very detailed, passionate email about uh, salvation was through the church and tradition and not through faith. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a very interesting email they sent. Mm-hmm. So I know we have a very audience there. Diverse. But um, <clears throat> if if that is true, that they believe that the church is the one that will actually conquer and create heaven on earth, then I would see where they'd be threatened by this kind of stuff because obviously they still have a lot of work to do. Mm-hmm. While it's arguable Christianity is um, near the top or the top religious way people profess, uh, we all know that the people who really... Believe it in their hearts, going to be a small subset. Many of that. different shades. And truly, uh, so so they would have a lot of work to do before that. I also find it interesting, is that this third vision of the Fatima, which the third vision that these girls had, was um, something they weren't allowed to reveal until 1964, and then they re- revealed it to the Vatican, and then they refused to reveal it. I'm not saying the veracity or not of it. Mm-hmm. All I'm saying is what's interesting is is that the Vatican refused to reveal it. 
But Cardinal Rattinger, I recollect, was the one who was the head of their their dogma. It's called the Office of the Inquisitor. Mm -hmm. He actually said that it involved the end of the world and uh, terrible things that would occur right right near at the end of the age. Hmm. Right after that, the existing pope, uh, John Paul, John Paul, he um, he actually said, "No, no, 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 no." The third vision was about me being shot uh, when, when I was shot. But that I miraculously recovered, and this went right against Colonel Rattinger. Well, Colonel Rattinger, who had already said that it was an apocalyptic end of the world uh, uh, view mm -hmm. uh, that they refused to release, became Pope John or Pope Benedict. Mm. So his early writings as a cardinal already said, you know, gave these kind of views. I wonder now, if that makes him 126 in St. Malachi's Pantheon. You know, it makes you wonder their own saint that has these prophecies that says the last. Pope is uh, supposed to be uh, uh, John, or no, excuse me, Peter of Rome, mm -hmm. and Peter of Rome is supposed to be called the anti-pope, mm -hmm. who is a great, you know, one that falls away. Mm -hmm. So it almost looks like they're just sort of covering over that. I don't know a lot. I'm just wondering, you know. Yeah, I don't know. It's all very confusing to me. I tell you, if uh, if uh, those of you in our audience who are of the Catholic faith, we're not trying to demean anything, but it would be very interesting if you talk to your priest and get them to interpret this position. Maybe they can share more and share back with us on the show. Mm -hmm. uh, we'd like to know where it's coming. It's very, very interesting that a major uh, sect of Christianity would be making these statements about, oh, don't don't look back here. Nothing big's happening. Yeah. Pay uh, no attention to while the, at the same time, the brimstone and the man behind the curtain. They send their Vatican astronomers out saying something is on the way. Something's coming. We have to prepare for. The Vatican has astronomers. They have. Oh, they. They're one of the biggest contributors to astronomy in the world. They have really? official Vatican observatories that uh, I did not are know that. paid, and that was one of their big things. They fund our study of the stars, hmm. and they're uh, like Cosmologico or somebody's name, uh, Cos Cosimo, uh, is a uh, world-renowned astronomer who's they're they're top-notch as far as knowing themselves scientifically. They contribute to the journals and things like that. And wow. they're the ones that have started this dialogue about the expectation that the church now believes there's probably extraterrestrial life and that we shouldn't get worked up over it. We should just be prepared to dialogue with them. Interesting. Well, we just had so a... So these seem to be dichotomy a little bit. Interesting. Have you ever checked out that book by Robert Temple? No. The Serious Mystery? Uh, I know a little bit about it. Yeah, it's very interesting. He goes through yeah. and... Talks about there's this tribe that believes they were the, visited and stuff. The, the Dogons. Dogon, yeah, yeah, yeah. And all of this stuff that they couldn't know without high-powered telescopes. They well. they would draw the 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 signs of the stars of of Sirius. The, mm -hmm. And they would, they knew that Sirius, you know, Sirius B actually had a bunch of other little stars around which it. Which we didn't discover until, until far later. Yeah, like the 60s. Yeah. With special telescopes. Yeah. Uh, very interesting, uh, especially yeah. given the uh, Sons of God hypothesis. We had a listener ask. If we would do a show on signs in the heavens. And, I'd love to. That'd um, be great. There's a gentleman, Pastor John A. Ben. I haven't talked to him in a while. He's a friend of Peter Good Games and David Lowe's, mm -hmm. who wrote such a book. Uh, of course, uh, uh, E.W. Bullinger was one of the guys who wrote one of the main ones. I was going to say. But it's hard it, to reach him. I was going to say, it'd be great if we could get Bullinger on, but that may be beyond our... Uh, we would need one of those people we know that contact the dead. Yeah. And uh, it'd probably end up like uh, us... Uh, Samuel, you know, he probably has some bad things to say to yeah. us if we bothered him. One or two, yeah. Yeah, so we better stick to what we have. But anyway, we'll look into that. Okay. Uh, well, can I get another story in Lay here? it on us. <clears throat> this is uh, troops needed to quell civil unrest. 
Um, this is a story that's from numerous sources, but uh, it was compiled at Infowars.net recently. Steve Watson and Paul Watson. Mm-hmm. Uh, Army Strategic Shock Report says troops may be needed to quell U.S. civil unrest. A recent report produced by the U.S. Army War College Strategic Institute warns the United States may experience massive civil unrest in the wake of a series of crises, which it has termed strategic shock. So they, so what you're saying, what it seems to be saying there is the Army is already anticipating uh, civil unrest. Right. right. And that's what, did, I, did I hear that correctly? Yeah, I think that's what yeah. they're going to unveil here. The report, titled Known Unknowns, Unconventional Strategic Shocks in Defense Strategy Development from the Strategic Studies Institute.army.mil, and there's a link here to it, also suggests that the military may have to be used to quell domestic disorder. Widespread civil violence inside the United States would force the defense establishment to reorient priorities uh, in extremists to defend basic domestic order and human security, the report authored by Lieutenant Colonel Nathan Freer reads. Mm-hmm. Deliberate employment of weapons of mass destruction or other catastrophic capabilities, unforeseen economic collapse, or foreseen, mm-hmm. uh, loss of functioning political legal order, purposeful domestic assistance or insurgency, pervasive public health emergencies, and catastrophic natural and human disasters are all paths to disruptive domestic shock. It continues. Mm -hmm. Basically anything. Wow. Uh, American, uh, an American government defense establishment lulled in complacency by a long secure domestic order would be forced to rapidly divest some or most external security commitments in order to address rapidly expanding human insecurity at home. Uh, Already... uh, predisposed to defer uh, to the primacy of civilian authorities in instances of domestic severity, uh, security, uh, and DOD might be forced by circumstances to put its broad resources at the disposal of civil authorities to contain and reverse violent threats to domestic tranquility. So it sounds like what they're saying is that uh, everybody should be prepared in the Army to change roles and uh, roll tanks, like, through our homeland. Uh, yeah, and actually even take uh, orders from non-military people uh, to do that that, that aren't specified here. Hmm. Um, and it goes into like the uh, the, the notable uh, uh, f- uh, figure, the senior fellow is Freer, who uh, sort of appear with Colin Powell and Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he warns that the incoming Obama uh, administration is prepared for a first-term crisis that will act as a catalyst for such unrest. That put, sort of puts like a four-year window on something like this sometime mm-hmm. in that. Uh, <clears throat> the uh, current administration confronted a game-changing strategic shock in its first eight months in office, report reads. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, 911. Uh, and the administration, anyone is well advised to expect the same during its first term. The odds are very high against any of these challenges, routinely at the top of the defense agenda, triggering the next watershed inside DOD. Wow. Uh, uh, and it says here that we've highlighted plans to station thousands more U.S. troops inside America for purposes of domestic security from September 2011 uh, and expansion of NORTHCOM's militarization of the country in preparation for potential civil unrest following a total economic collapse or mass terror attack. Hmm. Uh, they, they expect, we've mentioned this before, expect to have 20,000 uniformed troops inside the U.S. by 2011, trained to help state and local officials mm-hmm. respond to a nuclear terrorist attack or domestic catastrophe. Mm-hmm. So Wow. Well, I tell you, you know, um, I have a friend of mine close to me who uh, said he had a vision of, like, a catastrophic event. And, uh, and he even emailed another friend of mine uh, who's an author. 
uh, you know, religious literature and said that uh, the the incidence of people reporting reporting visions visions to him has went up dramatically, and they're all sort of huh. dark and spooky. Wow. So. You know, I don't know if all this talk sort of feeds that in our subconscious or whether it's just directly from the Lord or I guess it's time will tell. Yeah. Um, and also, they did just mention that, you know, uh, Tommy Franks, the general, had said the same thing would happen and we would have to uh, uh, give up on the Constitution, basically, uh, mm-hmm. for this, He, in his own words. And then there was a recent uh, memo from Citibank uh, about the world is not going back to normal with the magnitude of what they've done. When the dust settles, this will either work and the money will have pushed into the system uh, or not. Our depression, civil disorder, and possibly war is a fallout of the economic collapse. Mm. So it goes on and on, and we're so slow out of time. So uh, anyway, uh, just want to make people aware of this, that there's more and more data stacking up. Yep. Um, I would I would recommend that our listeners really prepare myself. Mm-hmm. I, would, I would appreciate it. I mean, the worst, it come, the worst that can be said is like, everything's okay, and you've got, you know, 50 pounds of rice and beans. You know, in your back room. Right. So. And uh, the plan to stay unconspicuous. Because mm-hmm. conspicuous people will tend to go down first. Yeah. It's like, like the old Army field manual. Look unimportant. The enemy may be low on ammo. Yeah. That's become sort of an unofficial motto of future quake. Yeah. In many ways. Yeah. I guess because of our forte in unimportance. Yes. Uh, <clears throat> but. But uh, continue to pray about what's going on in our country right now. Mm-hmm. We get more and more signs like this. Um, and, and, and actually, uh, you know, it may be some of you out there, or maybe some of your Christian friends that have seen the war on terror, and you're more than willing to say, hey, we got to forego uh, these certain rights of habeas corpus or posse comitatus or, or these kind of things because of the war on terror, or, or we ought to be able to torture, do whatever to these other people. Uh, when we throw all of those provisions out, I, I warn you, they're going to be used against you and your sons and daughters one mm-hmm. day. Uh, and there's already talk about that. And we, we've already read in one of these earlier stories about this first uh, reaction force in Fort Stewart that they are supposed to use these same uh, anti-personnel technologies that they used in Iraq. Mm-hmm. This is from the Army Times. They said that they weren't looking forward to turning what they learned on the public. Which means they've already thought about it. Well, they've had, to, yeah. yeah, and they've mentally been conditioned from their time in Iraq. Well, wasn't it wasn't it right in. here on this show that we read uh, something from Chuck Baldwin saying that uh, he had been told uh, almost a year ago that they were going to turn the returning military coming back. To yeah, the they were city. saying be prepared to turn your weapons on the uh, civilians. Yeah. Wow. How much more blatant can it get in that? Um, they haven't emailed me any flyers or anything, but other well. than that. Ladies and gentlemen, you better uh, contact your, even though sometimes we wonder if it does any good, and I understand that, yeah. contact your congressman and others. Express your uh, discontent with this. Get involved with other Christians. We have a group called uh, CAAA Christian Action Against Apathy mm-hmm. that tries to stand against these things. We have a documentary night uh, every month. Our next one actually is going to be the end of uh, January. Mm-hmm. But uh, we talk about these issues and find like-minded people. Uh, I highly recommend you stay abreast of this topic. Mm-hmm. And like you said, prepare. Food, Please, folks, just prepare. Resources, water, yeah. medicines, other kind of stuff. Now, if your friends and neighbors, family and spouse thinks you're nuts, just go to the um, Department of Homeland Security sites, go to FEMA sites. They will tell you themselves for things like avian bird flu and things that you need to have three to six months worth of provisions in your home anyway. 
mm-hmm. because you may be quarantined there anyway. So the good old federal government is telling you to do that. So if people have any questions, you don't have to explain to them why you're doing it. Just do it mm-hmm. and just be prepared for what's ahead. It's, you know, you can live on rice and beans uh, with a little a little tablespoonful of olive oil tossed in there for fat. Mm-hmm. And you can, eat, you can eat that forever. And every word that proceeds from the mouth of Tom Bionic and Dr. Future. Well, that's actually Harold Williams, one of our former guests. Yeah. He mentioned that. Yeah. That last part I just said? No. Okay. My part. Yeah. <laughs> actually, Jesus said the correct way. He said, yeah. man should not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And that's our true source of wisdom right mm-hmm. there. So uh, time spent in your Bible studying, it is never time wasted. Uh, we need to bring in uh, our, our friend Merv real yeah. quick. So, Merv, would you come in and tell our listeners how they can get a hold of us? Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or Internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay. Don't forget what uh, we suggested to you all about uh, uh, letting us know if you have any problem downloading the show. Mm -hmm. If there's any guests you'd like to have, be sure and let us know. Uh, new places you'd like our show to play. Uh, I saw someone who just sent an email to WENO thanking them for our show, which I really, really yeah, appreciate folks, a lot. If you feel like thanking somebody, just please, you know, drop a little line to WENO. Yeah, WENO.com. Please don't tell them you're like a white supremacist or. Yeah. Don't tell them you're nuts. You're in a malicious system to ignore government. Just. Keep that to yourself, but uh, <laughs> just tell them that you really enjoy the show and that you enjoy uh, Christians talking about things that aren't talked about elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And uh, we just appreciate so much the time with you. Any last words? Uh, this show was way too sobering for me. I'm sorry. Yeah, this, uh, we need a we need a happy show. You got a joke or anything you want to say? Uh, I'm happy. I, I'm happy. I can show I'm people happy. my bank account. I'm oh, happy. I'm happy. I'm happy. And I punched the man who says I'm not. Okay. Well, that brings feel, back memories. Yeah, Go back like, to our archives, our WRFN days on Future Quick. You can enjoy uh, repeated plays if I'm happy. But yeah. until then, we need to say goodbye until next week. So until right. then, we hope your future is very bright. Have a wonderful day. Bye-bye-bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. 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 Sweeping like a fresh new breeze Let your